Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I am Flyman11, and today we are going to be chatting about the 24 hours of Le Mans. We're going to be reviewing the event, talking about some of the big talking points, uh, having a few discussions, and wrapping up the WEC Super Season uh, for 2018-2019. And joining me on this frightful endeavor, some would say, is my good friend Cookie Monster FL. How are you doing, Cookie Monster? I'm frightened. I, I didn't say it was frightful, but now I'm frightened after your description. No, it, it's hot. It's hot, Flood. It's really hot. So. God damn it. Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's the opposite of what we've got, because we're in the middle of the Australian winter, which means it's like 10 degrees and I'm freezing my butt off. Uh, so, just quickly, before we really crack into it, um, I do want to take this moment to say two very quick things. Firstly, to everyone who has been listening to our podcast and has been involved in the WC subreddit and in the Discord threads, uh, Discord chat, and all of that sort of stuff over the Le Mans and 24 Hours of Nürburgring as well, thank you for your participation and thank you for your patronage. It was a really cool weekend. It was a lot brighter and a lot more energetic than it has been in recent years, and the, the mood was very high and we it seemed it seemed to have this real buzz about it and that was because of the people in the chat and in the threads and it made it a really good experience so thank you to everyone who was involved we had something like three quarters of a million page views on the the reddit thread so that's pretty nuts uh in terms of uh you know traffic for a weekend so thank you very much for that uh, and secondly, I want to make a special shout out to one of the commentators on the Norwegian Via Sports broadcast who plugged our podcast. I believe his name is Stane Pettersen. I probably butchered that entirely. Um, but yes, uh, we got a shout out twice on the Norwegian broadcast, uh, once in qualifying and then again with about three and a half hours left in the race. And yeah, thank you very much for that. Uh, and hello and welcome to all of our new Norwegian listeners. Uh, it's been kind of surreal to see a big uptick in uh, downloads in Norway recently. So yeah, good to have you on board. Now let's crack into it, shall we? We shall. Fantastic. So we're going to do this, uh, if you've been around for our previous Le Mans recaps, we're going to do this a bit similar. What we're going to do is we're going to kind of take you through the events of the race and then use those to kind of spout off into different discussions. So it'll be a bit, you know, a bit everywhere, but hopefully it makes sense at the end. So firstly, I want to ask you, how was how was your mood coming into the race? Because I, I felt that it was, it had a bit more of a buzz about it for me, but I didn't, I felt that not everyone was getting that. What what were your thoughts? Uh, I I think the moon was a lot better just because we were going to get some definitive answer for the future. Uh, I mean, at least for me, that was where my head was at, and it definitely seemed that the reporting was more positive. There there was just there was just news to to happen at this Lamar that we haven't seen in the last maybe couple of years. I know last year there was more or less the continuation of the announcement and more you know more official uh aspects to it but you know barring a actual manufacturer oem announcements uh it really didn't satisfy a lot of people then obviously with the finish kind of being a walk away as it was you know there was there was just a lot of yep uh, my expectations weren't a lot really high and they weren't really matched this year Hmm. it seems like Maybe we had some lower expectations, but there was more stuff that was going to be at least positive for the future of the sport that was going to happen at Le Mans. So I feel, I feel in that aspect, that made a lot, a lot of this more tolerable. And as well as that, I, I you know, I, I, there's just a, le- a level of comfort that you're going to get after a certain while, even though it might not be the, what you want. 
they just get used to. And yeah. I feel like people, I think, our, our understanding of Toyota's strength and everybody else's really inability to catch them. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I But it definitely felt more positive. Yeah, yeah. I definitely got your overall point there, though. Yeah, I I feel I I felt the same way in the, in that it was just a, had a little bit more of a positive air around it. You know, last year we had a pretty stagnant race where we had a walk away in basically all the classes for a variety of different reasons, uh, and it kind of and, and even leading into it there was just a bit of an air of negativity. Whereas this year, as you said, with the announcement finally the announcement of the hypercar regulations, and it looked like the privateers had a bit more pace over a lap. LMP two was you know, uh, horses for courses, GTE Pro was a lot closer. It, it just seemed that everything had a bit more body to it this year, which was really exciting. And it made the first stanza of the race a really interesting, you know, time. The the GTE Pro battle, I think there was 17 cars within 10 seconds for an hour and a half at the very beginning. The the LMP2s, it, you know, started with a different uh, variety of strategies with their drivers. And even the prototypes, uh, the LMP1 cars, it wasn't all Toyota at the beginning. I mean, obviously they did have a bit of a lead uh, coming on, but the the battle of the privateers was very interesting as well. Uh, And then as the race sort of settled out, we started to see the first of our big major incidents about four hours in. Now, this, this incident was extremely contentious uh not only because of the the drivers involved this is we're talking about the 64 and the 88 um in the Porsche curves this is uh Marcel Fesler diving down the inside of uh Satoshi Hoshino I believe his name is a Japanese driver in his late 50s I think driving the Proton Porsche he's let a GT Pro car go through Fesler's tried to follow him through follow the GT Pro car through uh, Hashino's had to turn in and they made contact and it's destroyed the Corvette. Now, in the end, the, that, like, that was the first major incident of the race. And of course, that was going to get a lot of attention. Um, and this was also in the peak time for like the American viewing as well. So it was a, a bit of a wildfire in the chat. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't see it live. I only caught up on it in replay because that was when I fell asleep. What were your thoughts about how the accident went down? Um, racing incident. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I'll, I'll preface this with the beginning of this episode. So many of these things that happened this year, I, I wouldn't say that I'm indifferent about. It's just that I don't really have a problem too much with a lot of the stuff that was going on. Maybe we'll get into the Astons later, but... Yep. Beyond that, I didn't really have any any too much of an issue with most of the stuff that went on officiating, guys. Like I, I didn't. So with this one, I I saw it as a racing incident. Maybe the fine was too much, and the and the and the racing points. You'll get into that. I'm, I just yeah. pulled it, but as, essentially, he uh, the the fault let, uh, was deemed to be with the Corvette. Um, I think there was driving points and a fine that was induced on the Corvette driver who was Marcel Fessler. Fessler, yeah, yeah, that's right realistically yeah i guess i could see an argument i could see where he should have known that the am was going slowly and you just don't know what's going to happen but at the same time like you can't just assume that the guy has the entire width of the track and you have to you know stay behind him you know at all times but it's it's a tough i i just don't i I thought it was a racing incident yeah, it was it was a really tough one looking back on because you could see what Fazlo was trying to do there because of course he's chasing the the other GT Pro car ahead of him and in 
even in the early hours of the race, there is a chance that if you, you know, lose that amount of time in one of the tightest corners, you know, through the exit of the Porsche curves, there is basically one line. If you get stuck behind someone, you're in big trouble because you're going to lose time. But on the other hand, you are early into a 24-hour race. I think the, the Corvette, this was about, you know, five and a half hours in. So, you know, the race had already sort of settled into its rhythm. Uh, and it, it looked like Fazla just... In my opinion, I you know watching a lot of endurance racing, a lot of multi class racing, yeah, it's it's a bit of the pro driver was probably trying a bit too much, but the am driver probably wasn't looking too hard in his mirrors. It was one of those sort of things. It honestly, it reminded me a lot of the Alan McNish incident in 2011. You know, the 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 faster driver diving for a gap that was always going to close quickly, uh, and so I think. Yeah, look, Fazla was marked at fault, and I don't really have a problem with that. The fine was, you know, a, a bit of a token fine, which is, you know, whatever. But then we had something very interesting happen. The number 88, the driver of that car, actually withdrew from the race. So as I mentioned, the driver was Satoshi Hoshino, who's won races in the Japanese... Uh, I think it's Carrera Cup or like Carrera Cup Challenge. So they're like Am uh, Porsche Challenge over in uh, over in Japan, and he's not definitely not a, sna- a slouch. He's you know coming to this Proton team f- to to you know try and win races and pay for the team, right? But he did have a, quite a few spins early in in his stint as well. So I think. Well, the impression that I got was that he might have felt a bit overwhelmed by the intensity of Le Mans, and uh, he actually, yeah, retired the car and apologized to the Corvette racing team for that incident. So, now, on one hand, I, I see that as, you know, somewhat noble. He's realized that he's not able to compete at that intensity, but on the other hand, you know, there is a responsibility to the team, the other drivers, to, you know, be there for the event, and you're entered in the event, you got to go do it. What are your thoughts? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, along with you, it's it's definitely an admirable thing to do if you recognize your inability to fully perform at the level you want to. And if you, maybe at the heat of the moment, because uh, certainly he did that pretty soon after the accident occurred, you know, in that heat, maybe deciding, well, maybe, you know, I don't I don't feel like I'm up to do this. I, I understand why, you know, he potentially did it, Grant, but I don't think he should have. You know, I, I think you build experience. Yeah, he it was a rocky start to it, but you don't build experience, you know, by essentially going through there and I, I, I don't know. And bailing out, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, at the same time, you know yourself best. And, I mean, if you if you genuinely do not feel confident and comfortable out there, and I think for a lot of people, the, the overwhelming feeling isn't the speed and it's not like it's a seven-mile track and that's it. I think if if you were doing hot laps, you know every every car could make it around that course. It's it's the aspect of the amount of cars plus just the speed differential, and that's really I think what caused the accident uh, was him going that slowly. And I think there was a train of three GT pros, and the Corvette just tried to sneak in behind the two other pro Porsches as they got around him, and that's what really caused the accident. And I think that might have triggered in his head, okay, look. I don't feel confident, you know, driving fast enough to, you know, allow the opportunity for cars to even pass me cleanly. And it caused somebody to literally have an accident because I can't drive the car fast enough 
speed yeah. differential wise. So that, that's what I think. That's why he bailed. And, I, and it's a, just a, it's an admirable thing to do. Uh, it's it's unfortunate that he had to do it in a, so publicly, you know, um, and that mm. he couldn't just kind of finish it out or do something, you know, to to not draw attention to himself because it, it this had this had no right to draw attention to him. He just was off track or offline. Yeah, a little off speed, but. Uh, yeah, I've seen worse. Yeah, it's it was one of those things. Like I've I've been in situations before where, like even even while driving, I've been driving in conditions where I've had to go. I am not confident enough to be safe enough to get to my destination. I have to pull over and stop. So I feel I I understand that feeling. And let's remember, this guy is in his first Le Mans at fifty eight years old. That's not that's. It's pretty. It would be pretty rough to jump into such an intense environment, and that's the thing. the The thing about Le Mans is that there's such a raised intensity about it. You know, we, there are drivers, other drivers of that age, yeah, like Tracy Crone. But remember, Tracy Crone's been doing this for 15 years, so he's not he's not coming into this, you know, blind at 58. So yeah, I I feel like he's done the right thing because if he's if he feels like he's going to be a liability to other cars, then it's his responsibility to not be a liability to other cars. And the point you made there about him, you know, being off pace and being an obstacle is pretty correct. As I said, he had four or five spins in that stint already. So yeah, it's yeah, it's one of those difficult things. And there was some resistance to well some resistance to that in in the chats uh and the the race thread a few people got very prickly about you know why is this guy here if he's you know doing so badly and pulling out and that dumb he shouldn't have even been there should have been another driver etc etc uh but you know at the end of the day he's human right and humans make mistakes humans get out of their depth and that's just one of those things i think yeah, well, what he, whether you like it or not, I mean, this guy's living his dream as much as all of us would like to to race at Le Mans. And so, uh, from a, a human standpoint, I mean, the amount of momentum gathered by the time you get to Le Mans Test Day is that even if there is a, a slight issue, you know, uh, on anything else other than driver standing, you're going to get it working fixed. You you know, you're already this far, so. Mm there's that pressure on every other aspect of the team to get to Le Mans and to race it, to finish it, that sometimes the driver aspect just isn't up to speed. And for that point too, it's, it's, it's hard to gauge your level of comfort. And I, I cannot stress the closing speed enough. Like he has, he's not ever had this amount of closing speed between different classes, unless he raced at the Nürburgring 24. Yeah. He's just, he's never experienced the, the amount of closing speed. And I, I just, I genuinely think that's where it came from because some of the spins, yeah, they were lazy spins, but some of them were, were around traffic. And I just feel like he, he's just not as comfortable as he needed to be to handle that yet. And I hope we'll see him back at the track. I, I hope this isn't the last time we saw him. Because, uh, I, 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 there's I, again, there's been other people that have kind of pinned their ears back and gone for it when they really shouldn't have at yeah. this track. And uh, and I, I never sensed that from him. So Yeah, we'll see. exactly. We'll see. Yeah, I I really just feel for the the Proton eighty eight team, yeah. like the, the the crew and the drivers, uh, Kyroli and Giorgio Rota. You know, it must have been a a rough experience for them to be you know hyped and ready for Le Mans and then have to you know be bailed out at that late stage. It would have just been not 
yeah, not not what they would have wanted. And especially for the 64 Corvette as well, that's not the way that they wanted that race to go. They ended up having to replace that chassis for the IMSA race that we've just had at uh, Watkins Glen. So, you know, that's a two-week turnaround. They had to replace the chassis. So, yeah, not not ideal. Um, and, private, and again, too, last thing, private's of the driver. So, yeah. you know, if people want to complain that this is this is an issue with what was going on there, it's, you know, it's his confidence level. And so, and, and sometimes it's it's truthful, sometimes it's not, you know, and you're just trying to go to, to keep going to, to hopefully make up the difference later. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't fault him for, for trying. Yeah. Uh, again, it's the human element of these races. And we talk a lot about, you know, the cars and the aerodynamics and the engineers and blah, blah, blah. But it's the human element that makes this race. And sometimes the human just isn't up to it. And that's... That's one of those things. So we'll move on from that. Uh, I feel like we've really said all we can about that one. Uh, so the race from there went through a safety car period. And then we started to get into the early part of the night hours. And the first big thing that happened in the night hours was the 95 Aston Martin had a massive off into Indianapolis. It looked like something had broken on the front of the car. It basically got into the the slight little bank on the kink of Indianapolis and then just went straight. And it went straight into the barriers and it went in hard. And it was only seconds after, and I'm talking like seconds, 20, 30 seconds after the other Aston Martin, the 97, had a problem in... Uh, the uh, Porsche curves. So there was a, a safety car, uh, sorry, a slow zone in the Porsche curves for one Aston Martin. And then 20 seconds after that had been pulled back, the other Aston Martin was in the fence. Sorensen, who was driving at the time, had to get taken to medical. The car was destroyed, absolutely written off. And uh, within a minute, both Aston Martins were out of contention. And this was also less than an hour after the 98 Aston Martin in GTM had retired through an engine failure. So within an hour, three of the Aston Martin racing cars are out of the race, basically. If you're an Aston Martin fan, a British a British fan, Aston Martin fan, it was a tough time in that in that hour. Uh, what, did you, what did you make of the incident for Sorensen? That just seemed like there was an issue under braking, and uh, whether that was a brake failure um, or or something else, or just just a, a human fatigue aspect. If they were just pushing too hard or or whatnot, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, that was a, that was a really tough impact, especially at that spot. And um, that I, I wonder if that's going to be the next spot that's going to get redone. Uh, you know, kind of like the Porsche curves, if they just kind of eliminate that entire wall you know, leading to Indy and almost open up all of Indy and knock back that kind of... Uh, that spectator mound there. That spectator mound, yeah. Just because that, uh, that, that there's just not a ton of speed dissipation if something goes wrong, even after braking for about a half, half to a second, you know, half a second to a second. So yeah. that was just a really, really hard impact. And uh, yeah, well, I, I think he's fine, right? He he just went to hospital. Yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah. he's coming out okay at the end he was fairly rattled as you can understand so he actually lost it on entry um i've just gone back and had a quick look at the replay again and he's lost it on entry so it's actually as the car has you know that the because the, the gt cars of course have to take a little bit of a break into the kink they can't go through it flat out like the prototypes can so it's as he's taken that little break that the back end's just whipped out on him look i i would hate to see indianapolis 
uh, get cleared out like that. Um, I because uh, let's not forget they've already made changes to that corner. Maybe not in extremely recent history, but in in the past that used to be you know uh, a third kink on that straight. So it used to have the clearances the other two kinks have down from Mulsanne. Yeah, it, it was definitely a heavy impact, but I I think you know, the car and the barrier did their job. There was a significant amount of speed washed off of it. But yeah, a horrible event for Aston Martin though. No, I, no you're right though. Well, it's, it's bad. And not only that, it's just not to have a result um, to to come back with. I think that would have been the second controversy really to come out of Le Mans too, if they would have had another car that finished with really not a ton of issues. Because I don't think that would have finished pretty high, uh, unless the you know the early morning and mid morning kind of pace would have been better with the Aston Martin Vantage. I didn't see them really doing anything or having any answer for Ferrari, obviously, or Porsche and Corvette. Just yeah. seemed like it was they they were neutered uh, pretty heavily after the post qualifying uh, BOP changes. Yeah, and so it's, it's a shame both of them eliminated themselves. So we couldn't really look at uh, the end result to see if that was the case. Yeah, so that's a very important point. They got a post-qualifying BOP adjustment, and I think it was a reduction in turbo revs, I think. Or yeah, something. It was, like, it, was like it was a power reduction. It was a handful of revs. Yeah, so it, it shouldn't have been that much, um, but... As history shows, they were nowhere after the first few laps in their stint. Um, our good friend uh, Oliver Trevorosaurus has put together, you know, through his sports car engineering blog, a few lap time charts for us to have a look at this. Uh, the one that he's put together on GTE Pro, it looks like the Aston Martins, the 98, uh, 95 and 97, they had outright speed at the very beginning of their stint but they dropped off significantly quicker than any of the other cars uh this this is including the porsches the bmws and the ferraris and the corvettes this is including all the other cars now the thing that i find interesting oh and of course i i should qualify as well this is only the top 50 lap times completed and we did have a little bit of a happy hour as well in the morning so that would have changed the distribution of all these lines so the lines are a bit skewed because Aston Martin weren't there to compete in happy hour at least the 95 wasn't but the the thing that's interesting to me is that the outright pace is there it's competitive it's only about you know 20 milliseconds you know a fifth of a second or a half a second away from the outright lap pace for the other cars the the porsches and the ferraris but if you trace the lines they drop off so quickly to the point where the the what 10th best lap time for the aston martins is over a second slower than the 10th best lap time for the porsches or the corvettes so that tells me that it's not a BOP issue, it's a car setup and longevity issue. And to me, that's one of the things about driving in a BOP class. You don't spend your development in trying to make the car faster or more aerodynamic or have more power or that sort of stuff. You spend it making the car more comfortable and much more like works its tires better and has a wide setup window. That's how you win in GTA in BP, BOP classes, right? Oh man, sorry. I I don't mean to laugh. It's just this is this is such a basic concept. Like, yes, you're no, you're so right. But I don't know what who came out of the woodwork. Uh, this this Lamar, but we had some really interesting people about BOP. And I, I mean, yeah. the ACO brings it upon themselves by doing this. 
And I really don't like that they did that with the BOP post. Mm. So, yes, Aston Martin would have probably had a slight advantage. But clearly, their setup and, you know, their ability to maintain that lap, was they weren't able to do that. Now, granted, is the Aston Martin's performance envelope equal to the rest with a slight performance advantage at the beginning? That seemed like that's what happened. That yeah. seemed like they, you know, and that's what the ACO saw, and they acted upon that. Now, they, the ACO just thought that the Aston Martin was going to just keep the pace. It couldn't. But that's not up to the ACO to have to do that. Now, I, like you know, so I just hate that I have to, like, go left, right hand with this with the yeah. ACO. So bad ACO. That aside, <laughs> BOP is fantastic, and this is in their auto BOP system works like and I know that there's manual adjustments made by the ACO but the basis for where they're going at is exactly where you want it when you're describing it like that and that's exactly what it is you have to build it for balance these cars have to perform with different driver inputs at different variable speeds around the same to perform to give you the optimal lap time at every every lap mm. and that's that's the entire key of this that's why Ford is complaining so much is because they built a car that is too fast for its class and when it gets pegged back its strengths disappear and that's why they have to use fuel efficiency it's why they have to use top speed it's why they have to use uh the the, the dual traction control system yeah. well right yeah and so that it, it plants the power as soon as you possibly can they have a reliable ICE unit you know like it's got all of these good things to try to make it faster but like it's got to feel comfortable with the drivers. And I mean, it, it does, but it, it, it catches the ire so much. It catches so many red flags because it is so fast. Yeah. And so that's why I think Porsche and Corvette have the right strategy. Sorry, my rant, but like, no, this is what I, we I, do, right? I think, I think BOP was fine here. I just hated the post qualifying adjustment, but yeah, I, I don't, I didn't really see too much of an issue with that. That's what, that's what happens at Le Mans. They're never going to, get the car perfect yeah and it I, I guess it really shows the teams that get it right every team every mark every manufacturer enters the wec in gte knowing that their car is going to get balanced it's not a secret like they don't turn up and then go oh by the way guys we're gonna adjust you so you're all going to be equal no they, they they understand this from the very beginning they understand it from when they're building the car so they have to be able to build a car with that in mind and this is the thing that that eyes me so much is that we all know that this is going to happen so it's no it should be no surprise that it does but it still is sometimes and then as i said the way you make a car fast the way you win in a bop sanctioned class is by having cars that are comfortable to drive that are kind to their tires that have wide setup windows and that can cope with going offline and passing traffic like that's why Porsche at the moment are so good because <laughs> yeah, their car <laughs> is capable of doing all those things that's why the Corvette team in IMSA has been so good for so long because their car is capable of doing that and i think that it there must be something in the Aston Martin uh the new Aston Martin Vantage that is incapable of doing that and remember 
Tire wear and tire compound is not something that gets BOP'd against. So that's why in, uh, I think it was 2016, the Aston Martin, when they switched to Dunlop and all of a sudden had all this pace, it's because the Dunlop tire hadn't been used and you can't BOP against the tire. So all of a sudden they had, they had something again and they won the championship that year because they had something. They were able to use those tires effectively. Now they've gone to the Michelin in this new chassis and it's not working for them and it's a setup problem it's a car balance problem it's a you know kind to its tire it's a tire wear problem it's not a BOP problem and the the classic example I use for BOP is the McLaren MC what it was the MP124C like that car was amazing over one lap it could destroy everything qualifying but it was the most god awful thing to drive and over a stint it just fell away and it's no wonder that everyone who had a 12 uh, MP124C upgraded to the 650S as soon as they could because the MP412C was just not a good car in a BOP uh, class the 650S was the Aston Martin Vantage not a good car in a BOP class and I think the biggest problem is that we don't get a justification for these uh, changes from the ACO. And that's been a problem with the ACO uh, with both the BOP and the equivalence of technology for as long as I've been watching WEC. I honestly can't remember a race uh, where a BOP change has been like explained saying we noticed that the Aston Martin had uh, a bit too much top speed. So we've just knocked off the top of its rev range. Like we, we never get that uh, justification. Right. Like, a, like an explanation of the actual like. Because we can have it described to us what that actually does, but we would like to hear it from the people doing it as to why they're doing it, so that at least it's not it's coming from them officially and not from like a journalist who's just having to describe. Yeah, having okay, to parrot well, it. Right, like adding five kilograms of weight will, you know, by our estimations, will add point three, you know, seconds here after we reduce this, which yeah, will yeah. allow better, you know, whatever. So I, I see what you mean. They they do it by posting what their changes are. So. You go, okay, well, they've deemed their, you know, that their overall power to be too much. So they dialed it back too much. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to even the cars out by doing little tinkering here and there, which is understandable. It's just there's so many different parameters for tinkering that you you kind of like lose sight of of, of who, who to trust and who to believe. Because yeah. essentially all that this is that and, and your point stands again, most of these teams show up with the understanding that they're going to get BOP'd. Most of their arguments outside of uh, the Penske Acuras and those drivers who just don't like BOP, but they race there. Or um, James Collado in the WEC right. as well. Right, yeah. Again, people that are driving there understand it, that just constantly just don't like it, that they always will say it, uh, know that they're going to get uh, BOP'd. The arguments are you're just incompetent and don't, and aren't doing it correctly. So if that's the case, which all of these are, then let's start shooting that down with, okay, tell us why we're wrong or, or whatever. I would like to see more dialogue so yeah. that I, you know, that the fans, some of the fans aren't, you know, and I said this in the pre, uh, in the pre Le Mans, uh, podcast too, is that like, I, you know, we, we shouldn't be the ones that are having to defend the ACO with these decisions. I mean, it's not our place to do that. Scott Atherton takes a lot of that flack that ordinarily would go to fans to have to defend the series simply by him standing in front of a microphone and answering questions mm. and answering legitimate questions, not not podium ceremonies where you're announcing, you know, uh, of new classes and whatnot or uh, an extra set of, you know, garages for, you know, in three years or a new L- LMP3. 
and you really can't take anything hard-hitting questions, nor do you want to. I'm talking Scott Atherton sitting down with RLM or Racer.com or MPGG, talking to them, being honest with them, genuine with them, answering some hard-hitting questions in, in a meaningful way, and at least instilling some confidence that the series is being led by somebody who knows what's going on as a has a yeah. has a head screwed onto his shoulders, you know. Yeah, and I just, I, we don't have that right now. Not yeah, not so much in the ACO. I mean, they've done a little better. They did release a here's how EOT works, and this is the goal we're aiming for in the lead up to Le Mans, which was very very good. I really appreciated that, and I'm sure a lot of people got a lot out of that. Um, but yeah, it's all these little finer points that it doesn't seem like anyone from the ACO or anyone involved is able to come forward and actually be the communication communicator for the the series in terms of the technical side of it it's it seems like there's this disconnect between what the ACO is doing and how that filters down into what gets told to the fans um so yeah it leaves it up to us uh, as the fan base uh as the people who are heavily invested in it or the journalists like you know john daggers graham goodwin marshall pruitt you know et al or the you know the, the guys who cover this for a living to translate what comes from the ACO and their technical directive to how that affects the series and how we understand it as fans it's just a bit yeah, it's just a bit of a disconnect there but on the whole though your thoughts on the BOP I thought honestly it was pretty good I mean for the first three or four hours we had all the GTE pro cars in a line battling with each other and it wasn't like one was doing better than the other and as that filtered through to the morning, some cars got a bit stronger, some cars got a bit weaker, which is what happens as conditions change. I, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, I had absolutely no complaints other than um, the Aston Martins just not being able, you know, just the look of the Aston Martins not being able to hold that pace up was just kind of like a eye-rolling thing, kind of yeah. like, okay, well... Now we'll have to discuss this, but yeah, it was. <laughs> um, it, it, when we look back on it, we'll be talking about just who won Lamas in the Super Season, and I, I just don't see where the controversy lies in any other them outside of GTM. But if we if we just genuinely look at it, there's not. I mean, you know, there's there was overall no complaints, and maybe that's where the ACO goes is that they. They, they don't rush to judgment on a lot of this stuff. They wait three months because by three months, the storylines pretty much, you know, have all filtered down yep. to what's left. And Hey, I in mean, three months, we'll have a new season. Yeah. And I think that, that was what the whole 2018 G Drive thing was, that people just didn't want to have this linger that long because we, by now, know, okay, well, that was a terrible Lamar. Or that yeah. was like a cheating Lamar. Or that was a Toyota, you know. So I think now it's, I don't think it, in the long run, it will make a difference. So, but BLP good. BLP good. Fantastic. So we'll transition more into the night and the night took hold of a few cars uh, throughout the, the the darkness. So firstly, the big the big one, uh, of course, is the number 17, the SMP racing car. That one had a big crash on the Porsche curves again, a corner beyond where it had the crash last year. Uh, I think it was with Azakian at the wheel again, and that put pay to their challenge in the LMP1 privateer class. The number 92 car, which was in enjoying the lead of the the GTE Pro race at that point, I had to come in for an exhaust repair, which dropped them to the tail of the GTE Pro field, uh, leaving the Porsche challenge to the 91 and the 93. Uh, the number 77 Porsche, who was leading GTE Am, also had to come in for a splitter repair. It broke the floor of the splitter, so that dropped them down the order. Uh, and then... I, I say it's one of the coolest moments for Le Mans 
Um, one of the, the, the biggest spirit moments of Le Mans, the number 49 ARC Bratislava. Now, it... It was a pretty rough uh, night for the ARC Bratislava car. There was uh, a few incidents, and then it had uh, one lap where it hit the wall three or four times, and it looked like it was gone for all money. But the spirit of Le Mans shone through, and the driver, which was uh, Hennig Ensvisk, I think is how you say that. It's a Swedish name. Uh, he, he managed, after 40 minutes behind the barrier at Indianapolis... Uh, oh, sorry, at Porsche Curves. He managed to get the car back into the pits. And this was after the team was shown to be, like, in tears, holding their hands on their head. And uh, it was one of those really awesome moments of Le Mans of getting the car back to the pits no matter what. And that was that was cool. I always love to see a team who... Let's not forget, they, they've come from the Asian Le Mans series. They were an all-AM lineup. And to, to for Le Mans, for them, was about getting to the finish line and to get the car back in to repair it. That it was just one of those really ah, uh, really spiritual moments. Yeah, that would uh that one hundred percent qualifies period of the law award uh for me. Just be again, that is exactly why we give that award out or well, we but we. <laughs> people. 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 Um yeah that and that's what we want to see. And I think the for the, for that team in particular to have that happen to them and to, to kind of pull through from that and to, to to kind of beat beat death you know uh, <laughs> throughout the night was was really cool and um yeah i mean it just just kudos to everybody on that team to to really dig deep i mean even after that accident too i mean yeah these cars are built tough but i mean at the same time sometimes you know even as a Toyota fan i know that it, it takes <laughs> that small clamp to not work right and these cars will just automatically shut down with these uh with the software so however much control delete needed to be done they had they had to do it and they finally got back and that yeah. was that was an awesome moment that and was really really cool to see it's not every it's not every time you have an off at Indi- indianapolis and then again at the porsche curves and make get the car to the uh, to the pit lane unfortunately though that car it, it did get repaired it did go out for one sighting lap but then it did come into the pits and was retired so yep. as 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 much as the the spirit of the race uh, was with them the 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 luck of the race and the tribulations of the race unfortunately weren't uh it seemed like they had a bit too much damage to safely get to the car at the end um do you have any other nominations for spirit of the race just while we're talking talking here um yeah i mean the 85 would have gotten that for me i think their their entire race strategy was really interesting and um and it, uh, just just in general uh of a way to do that because that's that's honestly what all of us are looking for. We're just looking yep. for somebody to do something unique and different. So, and maybe that will throw some more strategy into it next time. But uh, the way that they space the drivers out, the consistency that they have the car, um, it was really really good. Uh, yep. I mean, they, they they drove probably the best GTM race I've seen in a very long time. And I think, but they, they had some help with safety cars. But still, uh, that was a fantastic drive by the eighty five. Yeah. So. Oh, we'll talk a bit more about that because that's a story and a half. Um, I want to throw in the number forty. Uh, sorry, the twenty-nine. The uh, the the racing team Netherlands Delara. Um, that crashed uh, with about four hours left, heavily at Indianapolis. It was uh, pretty similar to what happened to the Aston Martin, but uh, I think it was Fritz van Erd, uh, no, sorry, uh, Nick de Vries in the car at the time came, uh, managed to after getting the car extracted with the help of the marshals, crabbed the car, absolutely crab danced the car 
to the finish, uh, to, sorry, to the pit lane, where they were actually able to repair it uh, 100% and get it back out on track. Like, to me, that was amazing. You, you see cars going to Indianapolis, and like you look at the Aston Martin, and it was absolutely cooked. To get that car safely back to the pits and get it repaired to continue on was just awesome. It was so cool. And that car ended up finishing. Uh, ended up finishing, what, I think it was, oh, let me find my results. It finished uh, in 15th in class, uh, which I think was something like... Let me just find it on my lap chart. That's a pretty heavy impact, too. Yeah, it wasn't small. It was it was 26th overall. So that's a pretty respectable effort uh, after having such a big crash, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, I, they, I think, didn't they have a, uh, they had a tire failure, too, I think, uh, by the end as well. So yeah, they were was... they were they were dealing with some stuff that right at the end. I mean, some strife throughout the entire uh, from flag to flag, pretty much. Mm. And uh, hey, to uh, again, half of half of doing Le Mans is getting to the finish. And if you can get to the finish after an impact like that, then you're doing something right. So big ups to the 29 team as well. That was that would be where my spirit of the race goes. Hey, I can't fault you for it. Good pick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so after the night took its victims, we ended up getting into a bit of a happy hour period. A lot of drivers were setting some really, really quick times. Uh, I think, especially in the LMP2 and the GT classes, uh, there was a period at the very beginning of the race where everyone was setting quick laps. But once we got into the happy hour in the morning, that was where we saw a lot more, a lot more speed come from a lot of these cars. And then we started to see some of this fatigue that happens at 24 hour races. There was a few cars that had big problems and a few little niggles, a few little spins uh, throughout this period. But the biggest one, I think, for anyone was the number 31 Dragon Speed with Pastor Maldonado at the, at the wheel. A huge lose at Tertiary Rouge right at the, the point of power pickup. Destroyed the car with about eight hours left. And they were running pretty well at that point as well. Unfortunate for the team, uh, I think uh, Trovasaurus picked that as his team to beat in in P2 uh, because he said that had the best driver lineup. Um, unfortunate for Maldonado, of course, because now all the F1 fans who drop in for one race are going to be going, Hot lol, crash to Maldonado, hasn't changed, look at that. But yeah, real rough on Dragon Speed, who also had the p1 car already out by that point as well um yeah and it was a it was a big off wasn't it yeah big big off i don't are they gonna be they should probably get an invite next year but they're not in wc anymore this is a tough send-off for that team yeah lmp1 and lmp2 um that'll be back by joda i think joda will i think joda was running the team anyway so we lose dragon speed as the team but we get joda remaining regardless yeah, that was a that was a tough impact and uh, and, a, and a tough crash for Pastor because I, I mean he raced pretty well. I, th- I mean that car I think uh, had its moments uh, uh, at the beginning of the week. Yeah, <laughs> the the little uh, impact with the let, Toyota. Let's, let's just say I was one of I think thirty one bids um, that ended up going up to four hundred and fifty euro for a piece of the Toyota that uh, <laughs> was kicked out of a collision between the thirty one. But I digress. Um, yeah, it. I really like that car, and I thought that was uh, they. They were in an absolute position uh, to potentially stay with everybody else. Uh, pretty much the quote unquote factory boys. So um, yeah, and I mean, Pastor is still 
he's got that's the problem with pastor so well that's the (laughs) thing though he's he hasn't been in wc he's been racing in lmp2 competition for two seasons now and he has been one of the best lmp2 drivers i think a lot of the wc people have kind of gotten over the the hill of seeing Maldonado was someone who crashes a lot and you know it was a bit of a joke when he first started in WC he's like oh he's just going to run into all the GT cars it's going to be an absolute mad fest but no he hasn't he's been one of the better drivers negotiating traffic and he's won races so it was really unfortunate that that happened uh like a crash in such a big event um and it did sort of uh take take Drake well it did take Dragon Speed out in a very bad way uh i just feel for the dude though he's gonna be tortured by crashed memes for forever he the only way he stops that is if he stops crashing although in him so he he didn't i don't think he crashed he spun a few times um and then him and i mean uh, that entire car i don't want to get me started about that god those guys were bad and they're still bad but uh, yeah yeah Uh, no not starworks it was the uh it was the other one the other one? Okay. They're, they're, the, they're the Legion. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the other one. Yeah, the other Matheson, yeah. Uh, that's it. The AMs there. Far uh, out. Don't get me oh, man. started. Derailed. Derailed. But yeah, uh, the, uh, the, the, only, the only downside at this point, too, LMP2 was just getting murked by the 26. That was that was my frustration at this point. It was just like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going to see. And Alpine was behind him. Yep. So was, we, we essentially had Aurus in Alpine. You're like, all right, get, get out of here. Stupid. Yeah. Well then, funny you mention that because around that time, the Aorus, the G Drive Twenty Six car, had its own problems. Uh, broke down the starter motor, broke down, which meant that it wasn't able to leave the pits. Because of course, in the pits, when you're having a pit stop, you have to turn off the engine. This is one of the things about Le Mans. It's you know testing reliability of components. So you have to turn off the engine. You have to start it under its own power, and it wouldn't start. So all of a sudden, you have the the leading car in uh, LMP two in the garage getting repaired gone completely gone it ended up finishing what sixth in class uh you know just getting past the 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 duquesne car right at the end so yeah it was a real surprise uh because you don't really expect a failure like that on one of these lmp2 cars which are built to be you know mechanically rock solid yeah i mean we saw a few like uh some some shifter issues with uh with some other lmp2s uh, that were i think an hour or two earlier it just seemed like all the lmp2s were breaking at the same time so or crashing so yeah yeah it, it, we we, th- we thin the field pretty quickly and then uh yeah the the, the 26 going into the garage did not make me sad <laughs> <laughs> yep fair enough <laughs> I, i'm okay with that um i'm okay with you saying that uh you know having a super silver a gold which should really be well a gold should really be a silver but good enough to be gold and a former f1 driver in a car that's probably you know better than everyone else is just kind of like guys guys the amount of money that they get to i mean i i I would love to know how much money goes through that that team like god if, if i only could see what actual race teams spend and what their budgets are. Oh my god! This, how many? This how many figures? So much amazing. How so many fun. figures do you reckon? Six, seven figures? Eight? Eight figures? <sighs> that what uh, that Rusinov brings directly to the team, like yeah. on a weekly basis? Yeah, yeah well, maybe know. not a weekly. It just depends basis. on how many how many flights come in in and out uh, of Russia that that week. Maybe. Wow. <laughs> That's a D right? I'm, I'm on a list. I'm on a list now. Do, do, yep. do, do, do. 
F- uh, FBI. No, KCB. Okay. Oh, okay. KCB. So here's how we get it back. Here's how we get it back. Okay. So also this time we're now realizing that Mike Conway is like basically trying to just destroy everything. Like he's pissed and he, he just, he just wants to like lap everything and just win. Cause yeah. this dude put up some ridiculous numbers. Yeah. Like he was in a league all of his own. And we're just like, okay, all right. So seven's out. Like they're going, they're going to go. Seven's going to win. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're out in front. I, I do want to come back to that. I, I want to have a proper conversation about the, no, the, we will, we will. Yeah, by, we will. By, by this time, like what, like I was definitely noticing that Conway behind the wheel, except what he was getting there. Like, yeah, he was like, making an impression. Yeah, he was. He was doing what Alonso did yesterday. He basically uh, yesterday last year. He was doing what Alonso did to the number seven crew last year, where he just got in the car and just blew them away. Conway was the guy this year who got in the car and blew the number eight car away. It was ridiculous how quick he was through that morning period and how quick he was in his first uh, first stint as well. He just was untouchable uh, behind the wheel of that number seven. And then we had some more drama in the P1 class with the number three Rebellion having a three-minute stop-and-go penalty for an administrative error on the tires. Okay, now I'm going to try and figure out... Well, I'm going I'm to read what we got um, from the ACO and from the like the broadcasters so this is decision number 109 if you want to check it out on the uh alchemel systems uh, notice board so this is what the decision reads the stewards having received report uh from the aco have considered the following matter determined a breach of the regulations number three rebellion racing facts failed to reintroduce required tires breach of article 7.7.2 c Three-minute stop-and-hold penalty. The regulations require reintroduced tyres to be used prior to other tyres of that specification during the race. The team used tyres not on the reintroduction list prior to those that were on the list. What does that mean? (laughs) I've been looking at it for a week now, and I still don't understand it. Yeah, I... I mean, I thought I understood, but then you described it, now I don't understand. Yeah, it's... Like, what, does that mean that I have to use soft tires from qualifying before they can use soft tires, like new soft sets from the race? Do they need to use... I, I don't understand. It. It's... All right, one more time, one more time. Do, do you want me to read it again? The yes, regulations require reintroduced tires to be used prior to other tires of that specification during the race. The team used tires not on the reintroduction list prior to those that were on the list. Um, hmm, so I guess there's a there's a bit of regulations that require you to show up like you you first stint on hards, you have to use scrubs, you can't use stickers I don't know, man because like I guess and that 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 is implying that the car would run different i'm i I think. Maybe that's like a safety issue. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I, 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 have no I don't know. Idea. I don't know what it, why that would be a requirement, but it seems that that's a stipulation. It's the same thing with the eighty-five, which we'll get into later. Yeah, I, I think it's different than the eighty-five, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Well, like in the same theme. It's like okay, the same yeah. thing, but it's the same theme of there's a r- ridiculous rule, but it's a rule that's there. It's there for a reason, so, and you've got to follow I, it. So yeah. 
so the end result of this is that oh, I'm a little sidebar. Uh, according to uh, one of the FIA Sporting Code articles, they couldn't appeal that penalty. So there you go, a three-minute stop-and-go penalty. Um, it erased the lap lead that the number three had over the eleven, uh, and. It was, I think it was literally five seconds after the number 11 passed it that it, the number three was back out on track. So that was all of a sudden a battle for the podium of overall in the race. Subsequent to that, uh, Menezes at the seat of the number three was pushing very hard to get onto the back of Van Dorn and to affect the pass. Got a little wide in the Porsche curves, binned it, got beached, and that was the battle over. The number 11 car had third place all sewn up because the number three dropped two laps because of that. It was, you could see that the, the frustration came out in the Rebellion team because they had been battling with a lot of problems over the weekend. They had engine failures in qualifying practice on both cars. They had to revert to an old engine specification. The number one car had a tortured existence through the early part of the race, uh, having a blown tire, some bodywork damage, offs at every opportunity. And that was well down the list. I think that even had another failure at some point during the race. And the number seven, uh, the SMP cars ran pretty flawlessly. I mean, of course, except for Azakian's massive crash. I think we mentioned it in our pre-race or our pre-pre-race show. It always looked like SMP's race to win in terms of the privateers, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, and that that was the thing. I, I I just I feel like a lot of people again their their expectations were lower this year, but they were still really high for those those privateers and. They're still privateers. <laughs> they yeah. don't have the the income in it. And the what really I, I think I picked S and P to beat Rebellion before the midweek issues of engines hit. But once that hit, it was just kind of like, man. I mean, they had spent all the you know the last two three months probably preparing for that engine and go in, and then to have them both fail, you can't just keep them in. There's really no way that you should really be dialed back. You know, dialing back those engines anyway. The Toyotas yeah. are going to last a distance. So you might as well make an engine that also lasts the distance and just have to make up the difference, which 20 horsepower down isn't much, but it's enough. And uh, to have to remodify that car to fit that engine back in there and then to go through all your checks and all that, all while having to not have any other issues, which did. It's just, yeah, it, it was rough for Rebellion. S&P hmm. just had more of their driver issue, which... We, we've we've talked about that enough but uh, and then the 10 was just oh, i feel i feel bad for them apparently the number 10 car the dragon speed car wanted to change their chassis they wanted to enter the race not with the dolara smp uh br1 rather but with the gibson powered janetta um and they didn't get permission to what an interesting development hey I think ultimately the ACO should have just left the ability for people to apply for specific races open I yeah. understand why they wanted to get a good solid car count for WC, but the problem was people could just just not show up, so mm. you lose the car count anyway. But I, I I think ultimately it helped you know keep car counts higher than they would have been, but it barred the Genetas from doing anything with their chassis essentially for a year and a half, just for the only reason that you know there was a clause in the rule book that said they couldn't do it. So. That's a bummer. That's that's my only contention with that. Mm. But uh, and then bicoles catching on, well, not catching fire, but doing doing the bicoles thing. Yeah, they last what? Uh, they last one twelve twelve they, hours. I think they last more. They hours. made it to hour fourteen before it stopped at the exit of Arnage, being unable to restart. So they had to retire the car. 
So, you know, a solid 10 hours more than last year. So that's good. They almost made it through the night and they didn't catch on fire. So everyone missed that on their bingo cards. <laughs> um, I, I do want to make the comparison, though, of the privateers this year to last year and quickly mention that even with the Rebellion's problems uh, for the number three car, it was still, a, well, sorry, for both cars, it was still a lap ahead of the SMP car before it had that administrative uh, penalty. On the whole, though, the, the privateers... I think did the job this year. They did the job of being close enough to the the prototypes, the the Toyotas that is, to pounce on a mistake. The thing was though, the Toyotas didn't make a significant mistake. They made a little bit of a mistake, but they didn't make a significant mistake. Uh, and the SMP cars especially, they ran without problems. They ran a flawless race, and that is extremely commendable. Um, considering last year they were nowhere, had reliability problems, had zero pace, and yeah, for them to only finish. I think it was, what, uh, six laps down over 24 hours? That's pretty damn good, I'd say. Absolutely. The the, the driver lineup, too, was, was was about as good as you could get. I, I actually don't know. I think you could do better with the driver lineup, too. So let's just, let's take even maybe another lap out of that. Mm. We'll factor in potential safety cars. I mean, they were probably about four or five laps down. I, I you know, And I think the 11 did have... Well, no, they didn't really have any hiccups at all. So, yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely think that this was about as good as you're going to get from them. The 8 and 7 are just going to have to, you know, and we're not going to really see them affected too much by anything outside of maybe adding a little bit extra weight, but that won't be for for Lamar. That'll mm. only be for the other rounds. So. Yeah. And, yeah, that's actually a great point. The extra weight that we've seen in the equivalence of technology of the other rounds isn't applied at Lamar. That was part of the agreement. So the fact that they are that close still is even better yeah there's part of me that does honestly wish that they would uh with the new success balance that they leave some one of those in for the toyotas but you know it's Le Mans, so yeah. you you know there is i i understand why you gotta leave that in and why these toyotas are, are should win next year as well unless they actually hit problems which they very well might but yeah, so for... Fingers crossed we see those Janettas back. Yeah, the, apparently, from what we've been hearing from the Janetta program, it looks very positive. So we'll see them next season. We'll talk a bit about that in an off-season uh, discussion. But yeah, we'll see a pretty significant privateer battle next year. For a comparison to last year, the number three car... So last year, the Toyotas did three more laps, uh, and the number three car finished... 12 laps down they had a little bit of problems yes but still 12 laps down and their best lap was well outside what the uh toyotas could achieve this year the uh smp only finished six laps down and was only a second and a half outside of the toyota's best lap pace so so that to me is a significant improvement and that kind of hits the mark i think Uh, you know the eot has never been about making the privateers competitive over a race it's about it's been about making the privateers close enough so that if the pro if the p1s if sorry if the toyota's hiccup they are right there and you know we saw that in spa the number seven had an issue dropped down off the podium and never recovered back to the podium the privateers were too strong and i think they 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 got to the mark it was just that again the toyotas were flawless and that's what they needed to be absolutely yeah and uh, it's it, we're most of us understand it, but we'll we'll kick we'll drag the kicking and stream screaming with us into uh, into the hypercar, you know, twenty twenty season. But uh, we, you know, I, I I just 
I don't really have an issue with with how anything really went yeah. with BOP. So yeah, <laughs> like, it, it all it all kind of worked out, and I yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's, it's exactly what we thought. It's privateers are not as good as factory efforts, and one that basically hasn't had to make a new car in four years because they don't need to because of the technology, and um, it frustrates people. So yeah. I understand it. On the on the on the plus side though, we do have an actual privateer battle that is actually happening all the time now. It's no longer just one of them always breaking down. We actually have on track battles between the rebellion and the SMP, so that's a fantastic plus. Um, uh, I'm a, I'm again fingers crossed the janitors. Like I just want those things to be quick for no reason. Yeah. It, all of a sudden, all of a sudden they're, they're like a bronze GP. They're like, where did they come from? They're only like a lap behind the Toyotas for no reason. Like ah. Uh, that would be hilarious. That, that's what I dream about now is just somebody <laughs> keeping up with the Toyotas. I am such a terrible Toyota fan. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. So we'll move on. Uh, later into the race, we're in the last four hours of the race now. Uh, we've mentioned that the Delara had and that. And this podcast. And oh, the last four hours of this podcast, fingers crossed. Well, we mentioned that the <laughs> Delara, the, the racing team in and Delara had that big accident and it called a safety car. Now, at that point in the race, the battle in GTE Pro was was delicately poised you had the number 51 ferrari and the number 63 corvette about the same on the on about the same piece of tarmac but about five laps separated in terms of pit cycle so uh they were in a in a very tight battle and then about a minute behind you had the two porsches the number 91 and the 93 also in a bit of a tussle now what that so the the corvette and the two porsches were on the same strategy and then the ferrari was offset by about five laps what happened with this safety car that got called is that it came out just after the Corvette had made that pit stop. So it had basically given the Ferrari a third of a lap lead and then separated them further down to the port. Oh, sorry, came out just before the Corvette was about to take its pit stop. The Ferrari and the Corvette were in different trains and then the Porsche was in the train below that again. And then the Corvette had to make a pit stop, which then put it basically two thirds of a lap behind the Ferrari. So the Ferrari had a massive lead at this point, but had a pit stop to take. And Jan Magnussen in the, at the seat of the Corvette, trying to make up time. Now fourth place after fighting for the lead, makes a mistake in the Porsche curves, bins the car in the gravel. They lost out, you know, they 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 lost out in that position, and they ended up dropping a bit further down and ended up in eighth place. Uh, come the end of the race. Now, this got a lot of attention, and it basically posed the question that we'd asked again and again and again through the race, why were we using so many safety cars during the 24 hours of Le Mans? We have the ability to go full course yellow, we have the ability to use any of the nine slow zones that we have at Le Mans, but instead, at every available opportunity, it felt like we were using safety cars. What What are your theories on that? Huh. I, I I don't know that race control wanted specific gaps. The that the only good reason at this point that I've had that I've heard for continuing to have safety cars at Le Mans is for uh, creating gaps for marshals to do cleanup. That's it. So if there's a piece or a large amount of car on the track and they need. Uh, and they want like 80 marshals to gather in a circle and try to levitate it off the track. They need all that space in which potentially halfway through a race, you have no gaps. So it's car after car after car doing 60 kilometers an hour by you. So you never have the opportunity to just get everything out. 
that's that is a logical understanding necessary thing now when is that applicable because there's no reason to do that Mm. all the time you only need to do that if half the field decided to run into each other for some reason and the tracks like halfway blocked it would it, it makes sense to do that if you have to if you're moving emergency equipment from one side to the other and you need to create a gap yeah now the argument then can be if that's the case let's let's deem it to be hazardous emergency like conditions that throw safety cars then you only need one you know if 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 it's a 5 to 10% chance that that safety car will be thrown during the 24 hour race in general let's just say we keep safety cars to one or two we don't need three then i mean yeah. you just pick the leader up and unfortunately that's what happens in racing guys you are going to get punished and at le mans it's 7 miles so it's just going to happen. You're going to get situations where people are, are going to be affected negatively by the safety car, for better or for worse. If there's three, if there's five, if there's one. I've heard arguments for seven. I don't know how that's going to work. Five is uh, – I, I, if you if you keep increasing this, the problem still exists. It just yeah. reduces the time. So, no, I have no I have no understanding of why they did that outside of they felt they needed gaps that they couldn't get in normal racing, you know, in full course yellow conditions. So they just threw out the safety car, but yeah, I, I just it's it's all too much in my opinion. I'm I'm looking back through the scratchpad document, which was uh, amazingly uh, maintained through the night, guys. Thank you very much. Who was everyone who was involved in that? I I'm looking for the safety cars, and it seems that every time there was a major incident, so for example, Pastor Maldonado in the wall, the number forty nine Bratislava car hitting the wall at the Porsche curves, SMP in the wall, Porsche curves. Aston Martin in the wall, Indianapolis, and the Corvette at uh, Porsche Curves earlier in the race. It was those ones where they had, you know, mass marshals on track, debris cleanup, plus recovery vehicles that seemed to be using the safety cars. Um, when it was a, a more isolated incident, for example, Menezes spinning it and beaching it in the gravel at uh, Porsche Curves, that was a slow zone. But, you know, we have the ability to do full course yellows. We have the ability to do slow zones uh, more frequently. I was surprised at how often the safety car got used, to be honest. I, I was surprised. And, you know, you, you are right. When we use a safety car, regardless, people are going to get disadvantaged. We see that a lot in IMSA competition because it gives a massive advantage to those who have fallen a lap back. You are able to get that lap back, you know, clean, cleanses the pit cycle, etc., which I don't, you know, necessarily enjoy. It just kind of happens. It seemed that there was an overuse, in my opinion. Like, for example, the... The only thing I can think of is if they want to have people there checking the barriers for barrier repair while there's recovery vehicles on track. And even then, like 60 kilometers per hour for a slow zone or a full course yellow, even if you set the entire race to full course yellow for 10 minutes to, you know, pick pick people out of the gravel and then do a slow zone in that section to do barrier repairs or reshape the gravel or pick up debris or whatever like that that should be sufficient right i don't know it's 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 a hard it's a hard question to fix it's a hard problem to fix and i don't think the aco have hit on the best answer yet it's it's removal of the safety car for me you it's it's run its course as the course car (laughs) um but uh it's yeah there's, there's there's no need for it now that we can essentially monitor cars on a live real-time basis and we can instruct cars to slow to a specific speed in which they press a button to maintain and control that speed 
They have yellow flashing lights in their cockpits, you know, alerting them of said danger and and whatnot. And they'll have marshals on track with yellow flags that are literally yelling at them as they drive by to not hit them. So I think there's enough incentive here to come up with a worst case scenario. You know, meteorites are about to hit the earth and we need to control the field while we panic and try to find shelter. Then we throw the safety car. Otherwise, yeah. we can slow zone this, code 60, do whatever we need to. And we don't need to disturb the overall run of the race yeah. unless it's absolutely necessary. So you're saying do something more like the Nürburgring, where they have, you know, next slow zone, slow zone, and then you go on after that. I mean, there's already, you know, nine set up zones for slow zone usage that were used. It's not like we can't do it. Right, and yeah. easy violations for people that don't do it correctly. And again, it's not like you're eliminating it completely. You are just removing it from your available repertoire unless there's fence Something damage massive, or yeah. track blockage. Yeah, so, you know, for example, had the SMP accident or even... I actually think the the initial Corvette accident, probably good use of safety car. Something like Alan McNish's crash in 2011 or Mike Rockefeller's crash in 2011, good use of safety car. You've got people and debris strewn across the track. You need to control the gaps so that way they can work effectively. That's fine. Um, you know, smaller stuff like the Dallara getting pinned in the wall and then after it got extracted, being able to go back on its own, probably fine. The only thing I could think of with that is if you've got a slow car trying to return to the pits, on a live track that could be a little dangerous, especially if the Porsche curves. But even then, you can just, you know, we have a white flag for a reason. We have slow zones for a reason. It could be done. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult problem. I'm glad I'm not in charge of solving it, but I think the safety car was a bit too trigger happy, in my opinion. And, and it remains to be seen what, you know, what if any different changes, I guess, would... Uh, it. It's just, do we want the extra bit of controversy or not? And um, I think we we have the ability to eliminate that altogether. I, I just, in, unless there's a reason to to that I'm not coming up with, let us know because mm. I I don't know what it could possibly be. I, yeah. I just, um, unless that they saw something we didn't, uh, there's no reason to have that many safety cars. They're going like IMSA, but they're not even doing it. Where they're 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 improving the show. They're more or less removing aspects of the show for the sake of safety, which is fair. But if you don't explain that, then people get angry, thinking that you're manipulating stuff for no reason, or you have an inferior product for yeah. some reason. Yeah, exactly. Again, it's this, this disconnecting communication. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Luckily, though, that was the last safety car of the race, if I recall correctly. Yeah, that was even the last yellow flag of the race. Sorry. The last slow zone of the race. Uh, there was a brief local yellow flag at Mulsan Chicane number two because of a stopped big bimmer, um, but that was review, uh, review, removed later when the bimmer came to a stop in a safe position. So after that split up of the GTE Pro battle, which left the 51 Ferrari in a pretty good position, the GTE AM battle actually started to kick off. Now, at this point, the number 85 Ford had controlled the race, and it had done that through an interesting driver strategy. So basically what had happened was they'd run their platinum driver, Jerome Bakermolen, and their silver driver, Felipe Fraga, for most of the race uh, over the night and over Saturday. So that left... Ben Keating, the bronze driver, with five hours to do out of the last nine and Blake Mullen getting in for the last stint. So 
the what that meant was they had a pretty decent lead but that was getting cut into by you know a little off after one of the safety car periods Keating had to do his drive time and he you know he's a bronze driver he's a great bronze driver but he's still a bronze driver um they had to make a nose change uh there was a the ACO came down and said that they had a non-compliant nose it was oh what was it what was it about uh, something, something to do with, uh, the, the dive planes or something, or some legality panel not being affixed properly. So they came in at the next pit stop to do a nose change. They did that with the help of the f- factory Ford outfit as well, which was a bit of a, uh, but it turns out that was all right. Then they got a penalty for a, for spinning the wheels out of the pit box. Now this is a thing like all the, all the IMSA guys are just like, wait, really? But this is a thing in the, in the, the WC. This has been a rule for a long time and it's a rule that everyone has to abide by and has had to abide by. Um, and the fact that they had, you know, the officials right there for that pit stop to check over the nose change made it a slam dunk sort of call when, you know, Keating's lit up the reels to, uh, wheels to exit. So it's a, it was a penalty that probably wouldn't have been given in any other event except for Le Mans. So they got a penalty, which possibly dropped them, which actually dropped them into the clutches of Jörg Bergmeister in the number 56 Project One Porsche. And they just got out ahead after that penalty. And then it was a heads up battle between Ben Keating, a bronze driver who still had to finish his drive time versus Jörg Bergmeister, factory Porsche platinum driver coming towards the end of his stint with decent tires and a red mist. And what a battle that was, wasn't it? Oh, yeah really getting down to it at the end there mm. um and, that, and that's and that's what lamar has produced the last uh, 10 years it's 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 there's always been a class that has had some battle that has boiled down to the end mm. um and and it really have pr- provided a little more excitement if some of the other classes weren't as exciting which i mean hey uh, it I happens over a, 20 hour four hour race a, right? right 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 the 85 to uh just I I didn't like the the nose change at the timing of it was just inappropriate. But if the nose was you know if they wanted that change, they wanted to change, so you got to yep. change it. Um, wheel spin, totally understandable. And if anybody wants to fight me on that one, uh, the ACO is really really stringent on safety. And I mean, look back, what is it, twenty five years? Look at the pits then. Um, I can list to you the amount of people who have been injured seriously in the pits in the last 20 years, if you'd like. I can also list, uh, I think a couple of them have who've passed away due to issues on the on the pit lane. And then I can also link to you the video in 2011 of the uh, TV guy whose job it is to avoid race cars while also filming them got absolutely annihilated by an, by an R18 or R15, sorry. So these fine they don't exist in any other track but they're this is an entirely different animal in every either sense of the word for endurance racing um for safety so yep. and the ACO are extremely conscious of it and they really 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 don't want to see anybody hurt so sorry ben but yeah don't spin tires and and it's it's not like say in america where you have the pit wall that separates the crew from the the lane it's like a, like a physical barrier or you've got a bit wider pit boxes yeah at Le Mans, the pit boxes are actually quite short so you actually have to you know pull cars back to release them in some cases if you've got a car immediately ahead and any yes. sort of wheel spin is a loss of control. I mean, you can be as you can be Ken Block for all I care. If you're sliding and wheel spinning, you're not entirely under control, and things can go wrong. And as you've mentioned, people have died in the pit lane. So this is a rule that has been in place for years and years and years. So I don't have any problem with the ACO enforcing it. It did just feel a little 
shaky with how the race was shaping up. The cool thing about all of this happening, though, was it was right in between the GTE Pro Battle fizzling out and then what happened towards the end of the race with Toyota. It was just a nice filler for that section. And Keating did a phenomenal job holding off Jörg Bergmeister in that stint. He came out with about a four or five second lead and held it for an hour. Like, that is great work. That is, that is phenomenal for, for Keating to be able to do that. A bronze-rated driver, a car salesman, for God's sake, up against a factory Porsche driver who gets paid to race these cars. Awesome job, and he should be commended for what he was able to achieve there. Yeah, yeah, it was, they, they were a hero since in the M category by him, and, and, and a fruition of, of, of what was a unique and absolutely successful plan by them. I mean, they, they maximized the the pro drivers from their lineup early and they took advantage of safety cars because of their just on average better pace than all the other am categories because they were sticking ams in so they they padded a lead and then basically gave ben the keys and told him to finish it you know Hmm. in much of the sense Uh, you know obviously the, the the last stint was was operated by a pro but he had to really close the meat of that the the last half of the race out and he did so very admirably i mean hmm. for an am and i think really well i think they, they played up perfectly not just because of the way that the the drivers had to shape out but also they were still learning that car that was the first time they were in the ford gt and through practice and through the test day they were pretty well nowhere and i think i mentioned this in the gt preview podcast i i said that they'll be fastest in that car come sunday afternoon because they will have had time to learn the car to make the adjustments in the setup to feel comfortable and to get to that point where they can be fast in that car and they were at that point of the race they were the fastest cars on track and Keating held Bergmeister at bay and Blake Mullen put him away and they ended up taking finish line honors uh, ahead of the the championship winning project one car of course since then we've seen things that hasn't gone entirely that way but we'll get to that just after this final little tidbit Cookie, explain to me Toyota help why has this happened <laughs> Um, uh, they're not German. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's the the what is it? Uh, the team is 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 out of Cologne, so I guess they're German. But uh, I don't know, man. Um, I feel like they all need to take like uh, you know, one of those sabbaticals, like for a week that does like a team team, team like, building exercise. Yeah, just do and do that. You know, you know how they do like the calisthenics. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, like half of it is just silly. I just feel like all the halfway through, you'll just all right. <laughs> Number seven crew, <laughs> go down. I need to see your stretch. All right. Anyway, oh. um, so uh, beyond that, yeah, no. Well, hey, at this point, I can say whatever I want. I mean, they they won the wall, but um, they just don't know how to win it without issue. They don't. They don't, don't know, know how I, to close it. They don't close the deal. I feel so horrible for for all the guys at the number seven because again it, it was just a small error and they just exacerbated it by not by not being doing thorough. their due diligence. But I mean, at the same time, why why put the extra risk on it? You you don't have a full fresh set, so you're essentially just you're you're assuming the sensor's correct. Yeah, which hindsight is wrong. But so God, we'll, we'll explain it out. So. An hour and six minutes from the finish, reports come in that the number seven Toyota leading the race by about a lap at this point 
has a puncture. It's coming up on the screen. It's coming up as a puncture. Sensor, sensor in the wheel is saying it's a puncture. Bring the car in, change that wheel, go back out on track, still showing a puncture. Turns out the sensor is faulty. It was on the wrong wheel for, for starters. So there's, I'm not sure, I, I'm still not sure if there was actually a puncher or if the sensor was faulty or if they had a, had a puncher that the sensor was saying was on the wrong wheel or whatever. Yeah, they that's came what in, happened. Okay, so they changed the wrong tire to start with, still had a puncher, changed all the tires, found the puncher and got to the end of the race. In that though, they lost their lead. They lost, uh, I think it was... 20 seconds there was 20 seconds behind the number eight at that point they had thrown away Le Mans victory literally in the last hour for the number seven crew and for the guys like Jose Maria Lopez Kamui Kobayashi and yeah. especially for Mike Conway who was the hero of the number seven car for them to have that win taken away from them like that was awful and even even when they were the the crew was talking to the number eight car they were talking to Kaz and they were like the number seven car has a puncture. They are now coming into the pits. They will be behind you. Kaz goes, what do you want me to do? And the team goes, we are still deciding. So it was... The, the drivers of the number eight knew it wasn't their race, but they were given it by the team's ineptitude, really. Like, I mean... I don't know about you, but if I was in a position where it's like, we have a puncture, we have enough time to do one pit stop and get back out, do we do all tyres or just the punctured tyre? I'd say, do all tyres. Like, remove as much risk from the end of the race as possible. It's like back in where they're coming out to the last stint uh, with Benoit Toilet and it's like, the Peugeot's on our tail, we might be able to do tyres, do we do tyres, or do we try and run it out? You go, do tyres, remove the risk. Just, if we've got the space, do it. Don't worry about trying to hold on. And they did it, and they ended up winning. In this case, you just do, remove the risk, do all the tyres. It Like, it... I was watching um, it and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. My only my only response to that would be I would like to see how what the tire allocations would be for what they had remaining when they made the pit stop because I was told that they did not have the number of tires ready for when the like four they didn't have four ready because either a set, either that being because they didn't have any new fresh tires to run they just pretty much had scrub tires or they needed to scan them or something like that, so they only really had one available, or they didn't have a full set, something to that effect, where I, that's that. yeah. Otherwise, it may, it does not make any sense to not just change it off four. Mm. You, had, you had the lead. I mean, you had enough time. I mean, essentially, they lost the lead, what, by 15 seconds, 20 seconds or so. They lost it on the second pit stop. Right, but they they had essentially a pit stop and a half to do whatever they needed to do. And not only that, a full they pit had, stop and a half. Not only that, they had to they had enough time to transit the track at a reduced speed with the puncture and get back into the pits. It was just it was just it was just a dumb. It was just a dumb. They had enough time to get back to the pits, do the tire change, see the puncture again, still get back to the pits, and then they lost the lead getting back to the pits. It like. Uh, it's just, it's just. Even if you at that point lift the car up, check all the wheels manually, and then go, wait, this is the one that's showing up. It, 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 it screams to me as a lack of thoroughness. They don't know how to close Le Mans. They've kind of won, not won by default, because that kind of sounds really, really uh, dismissive of their achievement. But it's, you know, had that been a Porsche that was right on their tail, they wouldn't have won. It's as simple as that. 
We'll see. What I mean, re- do remember though, do recall the seven and eight were on the same or on the lead lap. I mean, that the last time that happened was what uh, twenty two thousand. Oh man, uh, it's been like years. It's I think Audis are the last ones to do that. Yeah, it would have been two thousand and eleven then, maybe. So I mean, it's that's de- that's again that's saying that both the Toyotas were and the Porsche would be on the same lap. I mean, they essentially should. This should be GT Pro at this point in LMP one H had we had another uh, factory in here with Porsche at least, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. You are not wrong at all. So beyond that, I, I, I just, I, I don't know what else to say other than like it's just a, it, it, it's a luckless team. They just, I mean, even when they're doing things right, they find just the sl- the sliver of of avenue to to fail, and they just and they fall hard on it, and it, uh, it just was at such a huge detriment to the number seven, and there was and they're in a winless position too with with how it finished because now Fernando gets his two wins, gets the championship because that would have gone to the number seven had they, had they won it. It still wouldn't have, uh, the, oh, it, oh. the championship did, did they get halfway points. Uh, no, they, they don't get that one. Uh, the, the, oh, yeah, the, the scenario was the number eight would have had to have finished in eighth position overall to have lost the championship if the number seven. Uh, had won. So it was, yeah. the championship was always going to go to the number eight, you know, reasonably, but, to lose the race like that was kind of, yeah, it was really bad. They had to, though. I mean, if if you orchestrate a finish like that, it's not going to go well at all. Yeah. It's not going to help. <laughs> like, they're going to, that would be so much worse of a finish for Toyota. And, the, oh, man. I, 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 I honestly I'm glad think that, they let it go the way that they did. I'm I, honest, I, I, I honestly think that Toyota was so nervous about doing that that they didn't like they had the perfect opportunity to do a photo finish like a, a grandstand finish they but, were going to i'm sure they would have <laughs> yeah uh, and then they uh, i think that was just so nervous about that happening that they just didn't do it like the eight had ample time to slow down for the seven to catch up but they just didn't do it and yeah the celebrations from the winning drivers were remarkably subdued i think they understood i think even sebastian boemi said that you know this wasn't meant to be our win but we'll take it but it wasn't meant to be our win um a bit of a different situation to say 2016 for the porsche guys uh who were extremely jubilant but of course you know went and paid their condolences to toyota and there was an air of you know massive joy and bittersweet uh condolences uh for the toyota guys yeah, but when the it's within the same team, like, like, like the Audi guys, yeah, they look like the Audi guys. Yeah, like, when it was in the same team, it was just a bit sort of, yeah, rough, um, rough for them. But yeah, anyway, uh, that was the end of the race. They got to the end of the race. Congratulations, Toyota! You took a second one-two finish. Uh, the number eight took two Le Mans in a season uh, in uh, the overall classification. Uh, seven finished second. The number eleven, as we mentioned, finished third overall. Uh, six laps behind and three laps ahead of the number one rebellion. Uh, the number three rebellion ended up having more uh, problems and dropped down to fifteen laps behind the winner. That was the LMP1 class. In LMP2, it was a second win in a row for Signatech Alpine and a fourth consecutive LMP2 entry and win for Nikolai Lapierre in that car, which is phenomenal um, for them. The Jackie Chan number 38 car came second, and the number 28 TDS racing car took a third position. Uh, somewhat surprising. Uh, last year, that car finished fourth before getting that taken away from them for the fuel rig uh, abnormality. 
So for them to come back and finish third the year after, really, really cool. Uh, a bit unexpected for, uh, from us here at Endurance Chat. Uh, and then we'll talk a bit more of the classes in depth a bit later on. Uh, GTE Pro was the 51 AF Corsa Ferrari from the 91 Porsche than the 93 Porsche, t- taking home the top three. And then the quad group of Fords uh, from fourth to eighth. Uh, and then that got a bit mixed up later on. And then in GTM, the 85 took the finish line honors ahead of the 56 and then the 84 JMW Motorsport car. But scrutineering doesn't happen till Monday. And at scrutineering, everything changed is is the polite way to put it. Uh, so in the GTM... <laughs> In the GTM category, this was the big story after Le Mans. This was the 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 big thing. The class winning number eighty five Ford uh, initially had a post race penalty for uh, there was uh, sorry it was exceeding the minimum fuel fill time initially. So they were filling the tank, which is regulated to be at 45 seconds, uh, 45 seconds to fill the tank from empty to the full. They were filling it in 44 seconds and six tenths. So they were getting a 0.4 buffer or 0.4 advantage at every single fuel stop. Now that doesn't sound like much, but we've seen races in the past in WC competition being decided by less than, you know, five seconds. So that matters over 24 hours. So they initially got a penalty for that advantage for every pit stop times four, which is the way that the ACO do those rules. It then got a further penalty for exceeding the maximum allowed fuel capacity as prescribed by the balance of performance. It had a fuel tank capacity of 94 liters uh, prescribed, and it exceeded that by... Uh, they do a t- they have a tolerance of 100 mils. Um, they did the test twice in Ben Keating's uh, presence. It, they stopped the test both times when they got to the 94.1 liter cutoff and handed Ben Keating a disqualification, which he took on the spot. And all of a sudden, the number 85 car went from finishing first to being disqualified, just like that. And that was all she wrote. Now... Okay, just just before I continue with that, that wasn't the only car who got disqualified for that exact exact same regulation. The number sixty eight Ford also had that exact same problem and got disqualified for the exact same reason: overcapacity of the fuel. So this proved controversial for no. everyone. <laughs> well, okay, it doesn't. It, it shouldn't be consequent. Uh, it, uh, it shouldn't be controversial it's a slam dunk you break tag regs you get disqualified but the outcry that we experienced was exceeding reasonability honestly it was ridiculous the amount of of vitriol towards the aco vitriol towards porsche vitriol towards the teams vitriol towards the drivers vitriol towards the organization vitriol towards the event bless america it did it did seem like that and and... sweet home oh sorry uh you were sorry you were babbling on in some international speak that me me amigo americanos don't understand because we are the best and we have the best and we will be the best so those frenchies can suck it okay, i'm done i'm okay. done all right continue sorry yeah. so okay well but that was the thing though we we got a lot of pushback uh sorry i say we uh there was a lot of pushback on comment threads in the subreddit uh 
after the news broke saying that this was the incorrect decision, shouldn't be disqualified, this is all a joke, what's the race matter, etc, etc, etc. When really, it's it's a slam dunk, right? Yep. Yeah, it's you break you break the tech regs, you get disqualified. Yep. The, the 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 argument um okay so so first off i i i get i get it that it's frustrating i get it but at the same time too we can't just ignore things that we clearly don't ignore in other series and for people that i i know for a fact follow cover everything about very similar racing series the lamar is not that different it's it's not it has more regulations yes and BOP itself has more regulations in general, yes, than, than, than what racing was 30 years ago. I get it. It's not Group C. No way it's not. But every other racing series operates like this, guys. IMSA mm. does. IndyCar does. And NASCAR. NASCAR now is doing like laser scanning of stuff. They're not, they're not doing the, the, the general scrutineering where it's, it's all open. And it's supposed to be like this at this fanfare atmosphere kind of thing. And, you know, you take the full day to scan the car and to do all that. They don't do the full fuel checks, you know, until after post-race. And they don't do them after post, you know, post-qualifying BOP. They should, I guess, now. But, you know, you're we're, we're picking at everything now to essentially be the person, you know, be the be, be the victim i i, I mm. and 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 that's and that was the strange thing even when keating you know and keating's now gone back and forth on whether or not he's going to be back or not or what he's going to do i whatever he he drove a brilliant race i hope he comes back because he's a good am racer i like 100%. he should deserve to race a little oh yeah um but when he was saying it's on us we we flew too close to the sun and we got burned that's exactly what happened yeah. that's not on the aco to have to eat this bag of crap because the 85 decided to, you know, spread it around the ground. Like, it's not for them to clean up Ben Keating and the Ford team's mess to to mess around in GTM. The GT Pro team for IMSA got paying for the same thing. And guys, you all knew that the fuel capacities and all of that were changing from IMSA to WC. This was not a a, a jump scare for anybody else, wasn't it? It yep. wasn't for Corvette, wasn't for Porsche. So I, I, I just... I'm fine with people's gut reactions being to Emotional, defend the yeah. 85, right? To defend the 85, especially from Americans and from IMSA fans. Like it, it's a fantastic car. The livery was beautiful. IMSA is great. Ben Keating is a, is a, is a fantastic American driver, am driver. It's a fantastic story that got robbed. But then after everything published and then to still continuously read comment and listen to people that are still upset at BOP and Ben Keating er, uh, and the ACO and everything and saying that the 85 got robbed and saying that the fuel amounts that they were penalized for were inconsequential to the lap time is does is meaningless. Yeah. If, it's, it's, if your PSI it's... is 0.5 lower than the minimum requirement, that also probably will not affect your overall lap. You will drive like crap. <sighs> But it's not going to affect the car to the point where your penalty, your pen, your your penalty for like three minutes, probably for a low PSI reading from the Michelin tire, will affect it. That like, come on, yeah, it's it's on. you break tech regs, you get disqualified. There is a tolerance. The tolerance is a hundred right. mil. They right. exceeded the tolerance. It was I think uh, I think Marshall Pruitt reported that it was 
almost half a liter. It was like 0.43 of a liter. So, you know, that's not an inconsequential amount. That's not less than 100 mil. That's outside the tolerance. You can't just let that fly. You break tech no. regs, you get disqualified. And uh, like Keating was amazing about it. He said, yeah, as you said, we flew too close to the sun. We got burned. He was the most humble human being on the planet when that decision got handed down. Like they, they did the test in front of him. He saw it. He was witness to himself getting disqualified and took it on the chin. And that's... That's the ultimate sports person that he should be and the team should be. And sure, the team would have been ultimately disappointed. But, you know, again, break tech regs, get disqualified. Bill Riley, head of uh, head of Riley Motorsports, the guys who run the team. Yep, we, we messed up the fuel bladder because it's not a like a tank. It's an actual bladder. Uh, it, you know, they use different materials to change the fuel size. You know, it, it probably wrinkled out over the course of the race and expanded. And we our tolerances were too small and we got penalized. And that's it. We'll come back and do it better next year. The, the Ford Motorsport guys did an amazing job. They, you know, pushed the limits to the absolute maximum. Their achievement shouldn't be downplayed, but they broke the rules and got disqualified. And that's fine. Every, all the official lines were saying, we are, we are accepting of this decision. We are not going to appeal. But yeah, it was the outcry from everything else that was just making it such a, I, I was amazed that everyone was so shocked. Honestly, I was amazed that there was such a anger about it because it's a slam dunk. I, I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. Of course, I, this all happened I, while I was there's asleep. There's a lot of emotion. There's yeah. a lot of emotion, and, and 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 again too, this is this is a product also of the very limited amount of uh, of, of of social media community, whatever opinions, blah blah blah, that people are able to vet at a time. There, there, there's a there's a lot of echo chambers that mm. are just constantly shared. And I feel like that played into this too, where you you didn't stop to look at the big picture. You just looked at okay, well, this sequel's bad, so yeah. I you know, and I have a narrative to spin. I'm not saying that people were in insidiously trying to um, to fault something or someone because you know for a malicious means, but you know there there is a little you know my thing's better than your thing. You know you know the. the we, we, we've been upset at John Heindock for constantly saying like, oh, th- that's why WC is better than F1, blah, blah, you know, yeah. back in 2015, 2016, we we're like, okay, so like, come on, mate, it is right now, man, but don't, you don't have to say it out loud, you know, but the, 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 the boastfulness kind of that aspect of it is a thing, but like, I, I don't know, I, I, I was just shocked at the level of disdain for what is now, you know, like, or, or, or just the level of frustration that I'm getting from people that are pretty well connected and have a pretty good reach to the community and the fan base in general, like a large amount. Like I would be, I would be shocked if some of the numbers for some of the personalities in our sport that have erupted in the last three, five to three to four years, if that's not in the 50 to 60 range in terms of their overall outreach, maybe not even directly, indirectly too, of like people that listen or read or communicate with. What do you mean by 50 or 60? Just So I'm saying, so like sporting publications, uh, social media people, uh, you know, like streamers, that kind of stuff. Yep. People that are at least spreading the word of WC. Yeah, okay. I would say for all the WC fans that follow WC, they're also paying attention to those guys. Yeah, and yeah. I would say I would say it's over like 50, 60, 70% just because yeah, okay. WC doesn't have that following. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So their ability to essentially sway conversation is is magnified by on a level that I haven't seen in a lot of other sports. It's just 
you can essentially facilitate conversations based on whatever it is that you feel like choosing as that. And so this past the, the Lama was just this entire controversy was interesting for me to go, okay, why, why is this such a huge focus? Mm. The only, the only reason why we're talking about this is because the, either the ACO um, messed up royally with their, their BOP system or something. So essentially it's a call. It's a cry for action against BOP and that enough is enough. This is too much. Or this is that the BOP are scheming and playing games and that everything is a conspiracy adding up to the ACO. I don't buy it. If, if we, if we, I, like, I'm not even, no, that this is, I'm, we're not even having a discussion of the conspiracy theories. I'm just saying, if you're going to leave credence to those potentialities, what are you doing for the sport? What, mm-hmm. what, what, what positive, what are you actually doing that is promoting this sport in a healthy way to people that have never heard of this sport before that want to get into this, that are tired of Formula One and that want to find something new? Sure, it's not the best it's been. I understand that. And sometimes the regulations, are annoying and they don't line up with what you want or what you think is best for the sport. But where I and a lot of other people will be critical of the ACO, we will also come to their defense when they need it yeah. and when they and when they desperately have to have it because some of these things are are not a glass half full glass half. They're not a left or right issue. There's a lot of gray in between and and it just frustrated me to have to read and listen to a lot of people and a lot of opinions that didn't make any sense in the logic scheme because you didn't apply any to any other situation. You just went, I don't like BOP or I didn't like the racing. So it's therefore the French's fault. And that was was really frustrating. Yeah, it was interesting to hear not just about the Ford, like the the Keating thing, which, you know, ended up spouting conspiracy theories that the ACO knew about it during the race and was trying to penalize them to make it hurt less when they disqualified them. It was like, that doesn't make sense or you know people saying that disqualification for breaking tech regs should be revisited and we should think about a different penalty like what i mean that's a very respectable member of our community that made that post i looked at it and thought uh, and i know you're probably listening uh, uh to this and so you're gonna hear my thoughts firsthand i looked at that post and went you are absolutely off your rocker if you are outside the technical regulations you shouldn't be racing you should be disqualified so that was that was an interesting post to see on the sub but then furthermore talking about the bop towards the aston martins Graham Goodwin made the comment at other commentators who were uh, having this uh, discussion. Uh, I think it was, it would have been some combination of Alan McNish, Peter Dumbreck, and Jamie Guy, whose last name I keep forgetting, who's used to be a former Aston Martin driver. They were saying they, you know, they were having the discussion about the Aston Martin's BOP and, you know, handicapping, like being handicapped and it being a bit fishy from the ACO, you know, to make it after they got pole position qualifying. And Graham Goodwin basically said, if you think the ACO would directly impact their brand new customer for their new hypercar regulations coming out in two years by giving them crap BOP on a grudge or on a conspiracy, then you are ridiculous because they would have no business reason to handicap the Aston Martin unfairly because they are literally developing a car for their brand new series. Like, it, it it's... Right. The, it, it's it's one of those uh, uh, what is it Occam's razor the simplest and most uh, sorry the answer with the least assumptions is probably the correct one 
the the least assumption is Aston Martin can't last a stint on their tyres, therefore they are slow. Not the ACL has got some conspiracy against British marks winning at Le Mans. Harder. It yeah. I I think I've said enough on that. Anyway, no, there's but like but and it it, it just stems and, and yeah and I'll and I'll pipe up too on this so we can move on. But I mean it, this was such it, this was the overlying story. When, when we could have been talking about, you know, the, the gaffe by the toys. But even then, conspiracy between the seven and eight. Yeah. I mean, you know, that would have been the thing that would have been talked about. The Aston Martin's pace, that was going to be a thing that was going to be talked about. So there's always going to be little controversies. Yeah it, yeah, it just seemed very out of place. Yeah, it, it's it was and I, I get it. It's it, it was a, a frustrating penalty. And I think that's where a lot of it live mm. uh, lay was just the frustrations of a fantastic finish, a really good story. Honestly, if you pulled everybody 30 minutes after Le Mans ended, the best story out of there was the wins uh, Ford winning with Ben Keating uh, with the 85. I mean, yeah, the, the, the 71 uh, did enough to win 51 or was the 51, 51, sorry, 59, 51 held off all the Porsches to win. And, and you know, and that was very, very close um the controversy with the eight winning overall but yeah and everybody Lapier, loved the 85 yeah, yeah and Lapier and so, going four for four in lmp2 and smp getting on the podium which is pretty damn cool right yeah i i, I it, was it, it just speaks to the overall issue of that I, I we you have to understand the place that you are in the sport and and the in the reach that you have and the kind of tone that you set and and i and i'm well aware as being somebody that speaks in this microphone every now and then and and like a handful of people listen maybe a few people like what i say but <laughs> i understand that what i say has a direct influence on on what people believe think, yeah. their attitude towards it and how they think towards it so on some of the days that I'm not as happy doing this, I know that maybe that might translate into somebody's listening. You know, it's it's all about the energy that you're bringing to it. And from what I kept seeing, reading, and watching, reading, and listening, all that stuff, post the mob was just negativity. It was mm. just constant, constant, constant negativity. And I'm glad that we're we're talking a little bit about the hypercar. We're talking a little bit, you know, about more perspective manufacturers, that kind of stuff. But I, I, it was exhausting as being a fan of the sport that understood the issues that were around it and that understood the controversies to just not have anything other than nasty stuff to say about it. And it was just, it, it, it yeah. was, it, it, it was, it was really exhausting from a fan standpoint to see so many people just that were not on their game. Eurosport broadcasting was terrible, right? Um, you know the the uh, you know some of the. Some of the legends in the sport that I that I appreciate were just they just missed I, I the was tone. Flabbergasted. They, they missed they missed yeah. the tone. That it, it's not meant to be you know a lap around the block with the lads. It's it's a friggin' it's a friggin' you know most prestigious motor race in the world. No wonder we had so many people complaining about the Eurosport coverage after looking at a few clips from it. Yeah, yeah. It, and it was frustrating. I, I just I really really was uh, hoping for more positivity from the media and well, I, I felt like the media were pretty pretty negative i i have to say though in comparison to last year which was almost entirely negative i can't remember i honestly don't remember one positive story coming out of Le Mans last year 
Like it was, you know, an absolute walkover in Toyota in in P1 with Toyota. There was the controversy with the disqualifications in P2, the stint length in P uh, in GTE Pro made it very boring. The GTM, I think GTM just kind of flew under the radar and actually gave us a good race last year. But this year, there is so much. So many more positive talking points, and it's a shame that we have to go back to talking about how negative the reporting was because it was a it was a great race. I I would solidly rate it about an eight out of ten. Yeah, it wasn't a, a, a phenomenal race. It wasn't a twenty sixteen or a twenty eleven. There weren't stories of recoveries and last minute dashes or you know big battles that lasted hours. It, there wasn't really that much of that, but it was just a consistent flowing interesting race and it's a shame that you know the thing that people will remember from this race is the disqualification controversy toyota messing it up again and yeah that sort of stuff right and and the the my final point will be that if you're like cookie this is this is dumb you're 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 placating and you're 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 standing on your high horse and yelling at people because you're better than them yeah, sort of. Yeah. yeah, I definitely think a little bit of that. But at the same time, too, like bring something to it. So yeah. for me, it was, yes, 85. This is bad. I didn't like it. I didn't like what the, how the ACO handled it. I, you know, I understand why it took longer. And that's why I took it on a Monday. And it was annoying to hear it on a Monday instead of right after. And you never want to just see somebody receiving a trophy that doesn't get it. And blah, 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 blah. But it just like from that aspect, like uh, I just. I, I I was totally fine with how everything went, and I just I I didn't uh, I don't know. No, I, I feel like I'm I done. Just, I'm I done understand talking. what you, I understand what you mean though. Like you 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 couldn't do scrutineering after the race on Sunday. There's just no way you could do it to process 62 cars or however many finished um, throughout the you know immediately after a 24 hour event with all the fanfare of. The, the podiums, you know, the media attention, all that sort of stuff. It's just like the crew would die, basically. It would just be so, so bad. So to do it on Monday, I totally understand that. It's unfortunate. This is how, you know, the tech regs go. But I think we've said enough about that. Now I just want to move on to just, you know, a bit more of a focused discussion on the classes. So Toyota 1-2 in P1. The privateers were closer, definitely. Six laps as compared to 12 laps. The S&P ran without problems. Rebellion ran with plenty of problems. How we how do we feel about... We, we briefly touched on EOT before, but they're heading into next season. We'll see Janetta. We'll see a three-way privateer fight, hopefully. Um, are we comfortable with how P1's looking at the moment? Uh, <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> you can't get what you want. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah. For the, I, I'm again. I, I, I feel like like how F1 does 1.5. We need to do a WC uh, LMP 1.5 and just focus on that because that will be the interesting one if we have. I'm to- I'm so six. down for that. I'm so down for an LMP 1.5. Yeah, I mean we we should be we should be having an official 1.5 after all these just because if we have six entries they all should be pretty solid. Um if we're going to get both SMPs and rebellions and then add some Genetas, that should be enough of a fight that um that those guys should be pretty even if they are reliable and um hmm. we'll see some pretty cool battles there. I don't really care at this point with Toyota. They they again are just here. So um, fun fun fact, Toyota are now the most successful Japanese mark at Le Mans. Yawn. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. LMP2. 
So I mentioned Nicolas Lapierre goes four for four in LMP2. Um, he did have that one year where he went back up to LMP1, but Cookie probably doesn't want to talk about that. Um, <laughs> uh, 36 go two for two this season. Negrau and Pierre pick up their second Le Mans win, and they actually get to go on the podium and experience that this time. Um, mm-hmm. They also take home the championship um, by virtue of beating the Jackie Chan DC racing car. It was basically a heads-up fight between those two and the number 37 for championship honors. 37 broke down with a gearbox failure. It basically punched a, ca- a hole through the gearbox casing, and that's one of the parts you can't change. So that was their day done. Um, and you got to say, the the P2, the, the championship going down to the wire with the two protagonists finishing first and second, that's pretty well how you want that to go down, right? Yeah, absolutely. They were the, the the I would say the class of the of the field for the race and for the season. So yeah, I, I uh, championship wise, that's exactly what you want. Mm, definitely, TDS racing third place though. That was a little bit of a surprise. They finished fourth last year, as I mentioned earlier. But Perotto hasn't been at nearly as confident at other rounds as he has been at Le Mans. They're actually dropping back down to I think. I think they're going back down to GTM, which will probably be a better place for Peroto next season. But wow, what a result for the 28 car. They've been nowhere all year. Yeah, I mean, again, it just it would it would come at the issues of Dragon Speed and obviously the 37. I feel like they would have been, you know, kicking the CDS mm. off the podium um if not for their issues, but And uh, G-Drive as well. And G-Drive as well. Yep, I forgot about them as well. But uh yeah, I I I would <sighs> LMP2. I love it for for Peroto, but yeah, he's been so inconsistent in the last two seasons, really, for me, that outside of Le Mans, that it, it does make sense for him to go down to GT. I just, I, I'd, I'd love Prototype so much. I don't want to see him leave, but yeah. Uh, I, it, it, an excellent going away, you know, like a swan song for the P2. Hopefully he'll be back uh, in Prototypes at some point, but yeah, he just needs to build some more confidence in some of the other tracks, but that that's why it's just frustrating because I'm I'm, lo- I'm looking at some of his lap times and they're pretty good at, at Le Mans or overall at Le Mans at Le Mans yeah at Le Mans it, it seems it seems like at Le Mans he was phenomenal but at the other racetracks he just couldn't get a handle on it and I wonder if that's a a, a Le Mans thing like he was just able to pick the car up and grab it at Le Mans and do it better because he's got that Le Mans experience he probably doesn't have that prototype experience at other tracks if that makes sense it's a wide track too. Yeah, helps. Fair enough. Or oh, it's, it's all, as wide as a highway gets, I guess. Uh, top Ligier was United Autosports, uh, the number twenty-two car that came home fourth. Uh, IDEX Sport, uh, really, really cool for them to finish in fifth. And then we got the G Drive car, which was the uh, class of the field until their alternate or their starter motor failed, uh, finishing in seventh. Duquesne Engineering from the reserve list uh, are finishing seventh. They had a bit of a tortured race with an early puncture and then a late suspension failure. They That probably took them out of a top five finish, but awesome for them to be elevated off the reserve list in their first outing at Le Mans and take home seventh uh, with the chance of a win. Oh, not, not a win, sorry, a top five. Really, really cool, I think, um, for Duquesne. Um, Panos Bartes, uh, probably a little... Uh, anonymous compared to last year, I, I think. Last year, they were, you know, really fighting at the front. This year, they finished sort of eighth. Graf, again, a little anonymous. And then you get start to get into the guys who 
are happy that they made it to the finish. You know, the guys like High Class Racing who had a bit of an issue early on the race uh, and, you know, made it, managed to get to the end. Labra competition finished 12th in class. You know, their lap times weren't great, but they outlasted everyone else. Settle of Valorba Corsa, probably a little disappointed. The second United car after the engine cover came off came home 14th. Uh, and then, you know, the guys like Racing Team Netherlands who had that massive crash uh, finishing 15th. And then into Europol competition, the Asian Le Mans series invitation getters, they got to the finish. And I bet uh, our friend Kiki Mulsan, who's probably still listening from Poland, uh, super happy for them to get to the finish. And then the guys who didn't quite make it, uh, the RLIM Sport car with a engine failure in the last few hours, ARC Bratislava, of course, we've made mention of, uh, the 37 car, the David Hennemeyer Hansen car with the broken gearbox and the 31, they would probably be very disappointed uh, to to not get to the end of the race. Yeah, a bit of a shame, bit of a shame, but hey, 24 mm. hours. Yeah, and, you know, we made mention earlier on of, you know, uh, three or four teams that would find getting to the end an achievement. And it's good to see that, you know, Inter Europol got their... Uh, Labra got there, high class got there. That you know, for for these teams, that's a good stepping stone for them to move on into bigger and better things in the future. Especially high class, I'm really excited for high class. Yeah, they uh they were Asian Le Mans series, correct? Uh, no, they actually got elevated off the reserve list at with the addition of the two extra garages. Um, it was them and the second United car. So high class racing, of course, in the ELMS, it's the uh, it's. Oh, I'm not. I'm, I better not get this wrong because I know how Scandinavians feel about their their heritage. It is the mm. Danish car. It is the Danish car for Fjord back in Anderson. I almost said uh, Norwegian, and I feel like that probably would have put oh, me on some sort of list. So it is the Danish car. So they competed in Euro- European Le Mans series again, elevated off the reserve list at the last moment, and to get home in eleventh place. I'm very excited for high class for the future. I I look forward to next year considering the new LMP2 regs for Asian Le Mans series. Yes. And I feel like that will also bring in a, a, another, I, I, I won't say completely green crew, but they'll have a lot more uh, experience with the new chassis because Asian Le Mans series was, this is the final year of them using the old generation uh, LMP2 chassis, not the 2017 yep. uh, regulations. So. That should be also something to note for next year. Yep, definitely. Asian Mon Series as well, guys. Check it out. It's going to be great. They're coming to Australia. I'm really excited. Finger snaps. Yeah. GTE Pro, AF Corsa took the win. Ferrari seemed to have the better of the fall of the safety cars throughout the race. Ahead of Porsche and uh, 91 and 93, and then the quad quad riddle, the, the rectangle of Fords for the next four positions. Uh, and then it was the guys who had, you know, a bit more problems. The Young Gun uh, Porsche team in uh, what ended up being seventh, because of course, let's not forget the um, the 68 got disqualified. Then the Corvette down in eighth. The 92 car, which was leading comprehensively at half distance after the exhaust change. And then the first of the BMWs way down the list. Now, if you're BMW, how do you feel about your WEC experience? Uh, it's the uh, I feel like it's the end of the Oscars. Oh uh, man, yeah, yep, exactly. Just play it. I'll, Just I'll play you off. off. Play yeah. off. Yeah, they. Yeah, I feel like they were trying to get their sponsors' uh, names in there, and we were just kind of playing the music, shuffling them off. Stage left. 
Um, so, I don't know, man. They uh, it's a weird business decision. So that's I've I've already I, I've said that in a few comments. But uh, yeah, I mean that that's got to be the only reason why to do it. And man, what what a waste of uh, of money! Unless they stay in IMSA for another three four years and win a championship there, I just man, why why do it? Yeah. So to to compound what we're saying about uh, the BMWs, they took home two podiums for the entirety of the WC program, one at Fuji in the rain and one at Sebring in the rain. So to say their program has been uh, a bit of a failure is probably accurate. Um, Has been really disappointing just on the whole for BMW. You know, they had one car struggle to the finish uh, in last, last classified finisher in class. Um, the 81 and the 82 finished 10th and that ran without significant problems if I recall correctly like I I can't well see that's the thing like I can't think of anything that happened to it because it was just so anonymous and yeah I, I don't remember what I believe it stopped on track yeah so I, I I think that's the 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 way to sum up the the BMW's uh existence it was just anonymous like there isn't even any any comments about the eighty two in the scratch pad document, so no one mentioned it at all. So that's 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 how the BMW program went. Um, so who would you who do you reckon would be the most disappointed out of the GTE Pro ranks, besides Aston Martin? Sixty three. They just win. Yeah, they, and hmm. uh, yeah, and unfortunately that they Magnussen had a un Magnussen moment. Unfortunately, so that I would say they they would be the most disappointed. I, I I agree with you in that they they were looking looking to win the race. I think uh, they they were close to strategy. Um, what about the the ninety ninety two car? What, how do you feel about them? They were leading the race at half distance and then had a twenty minute repair of the exhaust system and struggled back to ninth. Yeah, I mean they. Yeah, you literally, but unfortunately, there's a, a, a on Porsche like air or mm. on Porsche like um, repair uh, mechanical issue. Yeah, so and the, there's there's so many cars in the class, so you you just can't afford to have any mistake. Exactly right. Um, what about the the Risi Competizione Ferrari? We haven't really mentioned them. I made mention in the preview show that I was most excited to track that car, but it didn't didn't really get anywhere. The 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 Risi car just kind of seemed to. Yeah, it, it just it just again was anonymous. They ended up finishing eleventh, thirteen laps down. So they probably had a problem at some stage. Uh, and yeah, just not really great for the the for, not great first experience for the drivers uh, in the Ferrari at Le Mans. Yeah, I, it's it's tough to say. I, it's easy for me to go well. It's a one car team, and they're not sharing data with uh, AF Corsa. I don't know how much of that is the case or not. I mean, they've got Durrani and Jarvis. Uh, so, is is Guyon is, is he the uh, the Ferrari driver? Uh, so none of these are actually Ferrari drivers. Durrani, this is his second race in a Ferrari GTE ever after he did Le Mans last year with the sixty two, like the third day of course a car. Oliver Jarvis, of course, mainly runs prototypes, and Jules Guyon has come from the Bentley factory team. So this is his first race in GTE ever. Yeah, so there's there's a lot. I would, I would say why they're, they're about a second off of the pace of the other Ferraris. Yeah, uh, is that they just and and two. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't raced since when Rolex. 
Who, Durrani? Or did he? No, I was saying the 89, the oh. Rizzi. Rizzi, yeah. The, that I, I entire think squad been has since, been parked since yeah. January, I think, so. Yeah, so. They're, they're, they're just, they're hanging on, and they just don't have the the R&D and all the back-end support that they need to, to run up there with everybody else. They're definitely a privateer in every yeah. sense of the word in GT Pro. Yeah, and they're the only ones in GT Pro. Final fun fact about GT Pro, the winner, uh, Daniel Serra, has won GT Pro at Le Mans in two different manufacturers. Uh, he's won it, of course, t- this year with AF Corsa. And then it was 2017, um, I think, with Aston Martin, that last lap battle with the Corvette. Uh, Jordan Taylor was with Daniel Serra. So yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. A little fun fact. And then finally, GTM. Of course, we've made mention of the Keating, uh, Keating Motorsports car being disqualified. Team Project One ended up taking the victory and the championship uh, comprehensively in the end. Their only real uh, battle was with the uh, number 77, who lost all of its points halfway through uh, the series. So they, they comprehensively won the championship. Uh, great showing from the Americans in this class, though. We've already made mention of Keating, despite his disqualification. Uh, Jörg Bergmeister and Patrick Lindsay, uh, of course, race a lot in America, taking home the win. And shout-out to our Norwegian uh, new listeners, Edigio Perfetti, taking home the win and the championship in Project One Car. So awesome for, for them. Uh, JMW Motorsport with Jeff Siegel uh, and uh, Wei Lu. I think that is in the as the bronze driver taking home second. Uh, again, North American uh, flavor there. And then the number 62 WeatherTech racing car, which is definitely embedded in North America, taking home third in class. So uh, great showing from your your neck of the woods in GTM there, Cookie. Yeah, well, we're cleaning up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the Cooper McNeil fi- fending off all of the haters with uh, with a P three. I good for him. <laughs> That's yep. all I'll say. That good for him, man. Uh, uh, we'll leave that one well enough alone. On that one. Yep. Uh, the next uh, WEC entered car was the seventy seven in fourth place. That of course was also leading the class until they had their splitter change. Seventy seven car and Leon Campbell and Reed. Have they been the best GTM combination ever? Like, obviously, they didn't uh, win the series because of the, you know, the pit cycle disqualification stuff from Fuji, and they got removed from all the points and blah 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 blah. But they haven't finished off the podium all year. Uh, yes, maybe Aston Martin with Paul Delana like four or five years ago. Those guys were just destroying people. They couldn't win at Le Mans to save their lives, but yeah. I mean, they they kill people at all the other tracks, and that that would be my other one where I was just like, I mean, these guys should win, and they should win, they should win. So yeah, they have absolutely been for the last like three years. They've been, or not not three years, two years. They uh, they've been fantastic. Yeah. So Camp- Campbell has been an unbelievably I know, right? Good Porsche driver. Oh, it's so like, awesome to have another Australian yeah, in the mix for Porsche. Aussie just keeps pumping out Porsche drivers. I don't get it. It's brilliant. It's because it's because it's because no, they're just good cars. No, no, I didn't see. I didn't need you to, to <laughs> explain yourself. Uh, okay. So just for a bit of context, the number seventy-seven car took wins at Le Mans last year at Silverstone. Uh, at Fuji and then got disqualified and got their points wiped to that point. Uh, they won at Shanghai, they won at Sebring, and they won at Spa, and they came second for WC at Le Mans. So the only race they didn't finish on the podium was the first race of the season where they finished 12, uh, fourth. So 
big, big ups to the number 77 crew. Despite their disqualification, they were probably the class of the field. And they finished second in the championship with only four rounds being counted. That's not bad. That's absurd. Absurd. Yeah, big big props to them. Chris will be happy that Car Guy finished fifth from the Asian Le Mans series. He was giving them a big rap in our GTE pro preview. Uh, so they took home fifth. It was the um, a pretty a pretty Monaco car uh, for Proton competition that came home sixth. Clearwater Racing, again, pretty anonymous, I guess, in seventh. Golf Racing, eighth. Kessel Racing, the all-female-driven all car, the Gosner Frey Gatting car, finishing ninth. Um, a few, only four laps off the pace uh, overall. Uh, so pretty impressed for them. You know, finishing ninth is in just in the top half of the field. So, oh, sorry, it's just outside the top half of the field. So, you know, a respectable result. Um, MR Racing, again, very anonymous. Uh, TF Sport in 11th, the only surviving Aston Martin without significant problems, still finished in 11th place. The Spirit of Race Ferrari, I don't recall what happened to them but they finished seven laps down and then the other Kessel racing car was the tail of the field finishing in 13th we did have retirements from the aforementioned uh, 88 Dempsey Proton car um, of Satoshi Hoshino and the 98 Aston Martin racing uh, the Paul Dallana Pedro Lemmy Matthias Lauda is his name they have had no luck at Le Mans ever oh yeah it's it's been absolutely dreadful I've they they even went into this one going well you know we've had no luck all year and uh, we've and you know previous years we've had all the luck throughout the year coming into Le Mans so or any at any point so you know maybe because we've you know misplaced our rabbit's foot that will magically <laughs> show up here and that did not happen again. I think they will have the brand new Aston Martin Vantage for next season, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes for next season for them. See if they can get some pace out of it in GTM as compared to what the factory has gotten in GTE Pro. Final questions, final discussion points as we approach two and a half hours of this podcast, probably after we cut it down a little bit. Um, So Le Mans is a championship closer. Did it really matter? Yeah, I think it, it, well, it didn't for this really. I mean, sort of. But uh, for potential new ones, maybe uh, again, it's it, it's a question of whether or not the championship does anything in general, in which you cannot just have one race be the deciding factor of it. Does Le Mans need to be its own thing? Maybe. maybe. So have a have it be a non-championship event. Just have the WEC yes. entrance get en- free entry to it. Correct. Because at at this point, I think. I think you're comfortable enough with using that because that was a that was a scheme used for WC entries uh, for Le Mans. Yeah. Now I don't know what it, it you know if that was intention because it you know it was trying to stave off a potentiality where they weren't going to get enough you know or that people were going to sign up for WC if they didn't go to Le Mans. But you know I I, I don't know I. I feel like if you are incentivizing this to a point of here's an automatic entry to Le Mans if you race in WC versus here's an automatic entry if you finish in the top, what, two positions in the LMS and Asian yeah. Le Mans series and IMSA, yeah. that there's more of an incentive to run WC. Now, granted, yeah. it's cost and all that stuff. So if, if we, we can get to that point, I would love to do it. 
And we, and yeah, we have seen, sorry to jump over the top of you, we have seen yeah, yeah, teams in LMP2 step up to Le Mans, uh, step up to the WC just to confirm their place at Le Mans, like United, like Settler, right. Vidal, Corsa, you know, like high class potentially in the future. You know, these teams have stepped up to secure their place at Le Mans. Honestly, I don't like that idea. I, I think if you have a event of this stature, it needs to be rooted in a championship. It's okay for the event to be bigger than a championship. I mean, you know, my biggest, uh, or sorry, my local following is V8 Supercars. We have the Bathurst 1000. It's bigger than the championship. You, you know, you want to be a Bathurst winner, but it still counts towards the championship. Um, the, the difference is it's not right at the very end. Um, you know, IndyCar, Indy 500, arguably bigger than the championship. Does it count towards the championship? Yes. Well, I, 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 I don't think it really mattered. No championship winner changed from uh, because of the Le Mans event. Yes, it was close in LMP2, but no championship winner changed because of Le Mans. So I I don't think it really mattered. Um, well, I meant matter in the sense of does it do people care yeah. who won the championship? Now, fat manufacturers and factories, yes. For everybody else, probably not. Mm. And, that's, and that was my point is that you might be able to just at least get the WC to have a pin in its or a feather in its cap with being the official championship essentially or the champion sponsor you could do it whatever of Le Mans and then also have your team's drivers and manufacturers vie for your own championship and hold your championship up in high ground now granted that you know and I I, I like where the stability is at and I argue with somebody before is that you know the stability that we have now should be taken lightly and that the changes that we make be, you know, or, or that we look at now that have been made to try to like continue to promote more, you know, a, th- a 30 plus grid shouldn't be necessarily negated because now we're healthy, you know, yeah. how much of that did contribute to our success. So I, I, I see your point. I definitely see your point where it, it, you know, all the other championships count for something. It's just that this one didn't, and you know, if it does in the future, that that will be ultimately where it's at. You know, yeah. if we've got a Porsche versus Ferrari that ends up with a decider swinging on one side, does it even matter because that side might have won Le Mans? You know, yeah, yeah, or whatever. You know? Yeah, or does someone not go for the Le Mans win to secure their win in the championship? That sort of stuff. Ooh, ooh, oh man, that would be that would be the most controversial thing ever. Yeah. yeah. So that we'll, we'll probably encounter that question in future years. Next next discussion point. The most finishes of a Le Mans race ever. So we had 40, 47 classified finishes, one non-classified finisher, which was the RLR M Sport car, which ended the race in the pits. Uh, two disqualifications as well. So remember how this used to be a reliability-based race? Remember how we used to you know have to nurse cars for 24 hours? What happened to that, man? Uh, technology. Woo. Was it a surprise to to see so many finishes? Like even no. even accident damage. We only had four cars retired due to accident damage, or five ish, and you know only one of those was a accident damage between two classes. So yeah. Uh, so why why is it not a surprise then? Because the cars are extremely safe, they're extremely reliable, the drivers are more trained than they've ever been before, they've had more experience before they enter, regardless of that Porsche's issues. So, yeah, it's, this is so unsur- you know, unsurprising. This is, I mean, I should, there should be more that have that had finished. I was actually surprised at the amount of uh, mental errors that you were seeing drivers make on track. Mm. 
that that seemed to be more of a shocking to to me just because of the standard has been set so high and i i mean the the technology is is absolutely as aided the drivers more so in the last 15 years i'd say than anything else i mean it's it's absolutely benefited them in, yeah. in every way so yeah exactly right speaking of technology it seems that all the sort of spec cars were the ones that really survived i mean we had three retirements in LMP1 and then multiple problems for the rebellions as well. So we'll call that, so three out of eight is a pretty high ratio. In GTE Pro, we only had three retirements, two through accident damage and one through a failed engine. GTE M, we had a car withdrawn and, and an engine failure and that were the only retirements in that class. And then in LMP2, we had accident damage, uh, cracked gearbox casing, accident damage and an engine failure. So... As far as overall reliability goes, we only had, what, uh, one, two, three, four, five, five reliability problems that were terminal, uh, and of those, two of them were in the P1 class. So that's that's phenomenal reliability in terms of building these cars. And then you know the and if you think about it, all the all the accidents that we did see were either small spins that were you know in overall inconsequential, and then there was the four big ones. You know the Chevy contact with the Porsche, Aston Martin at Indianapolis, the SMP at Porsche Curves, and the Dragon Speed at Tertre Rouge. Like there wasn't that much attrition at all. Yeah. I mean, and that this has been a a steady climb towards full hundred percent reliability for a long time. And I mean, the amount of cars that were able to get themselves back. I mean, we talk about the potential spirit of the race with the forty nine. Mm-hmm. They had no right to get back. Uh, essentially, you know what? Maybe ten years ago. And it's just we're 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 just getting to that point where everything is just you. You do it so many times. You know, you you reinvent the wheel. So many times that it just becomes you, know, you can't really do too much more else with it, and um, you know most of these base parts are modular. Even even the the really defunct P1 privateers, essentially that will be in the next couple of years. You know those are being designed to be modular, even mm. though they had issues, they were modular in design. So the the basic concepts of designing a car that m- it might not go, it might not be bulletproof but when it has an issue it can get home is basically i wouldn't say perfected but we're getting close to it yeah and so much of that privateers can do it so yeah it's, it's amazing and for for context last year we had 19 retirements this year only 13 so more you know, cars less retirements up. yeah exactly it's been it's been amazing um and finally we made it we made it through to the end of the super season next event i think is going to be in august so already only just a month away uh with the 2018 uh, sorry 2019 2020 season starting at silverstone we'll see brand new grid uh a, a lot of face changing in lmp2 a massive lmp uh, sorry gtm field uh to compensate for the reduced gte pro and uh a bit of a revival in p1 with the int- introduction of janetta i'm a little excited I gotta say, I'm a little excited. Yeah, are we allowed to be excited around here? I feel like we we're supposed to. We're supposed to be negative. Well, we can, we can be excited. We're gonna okay. channel that old old school Alex Sinclair vibe. So Alex, for those who are new, Alex Sinclair was a guy who was on the podcast fairly regularly. Um, who was always happy and upbeat and excited about the future, even through the trying times, which has been the 2017 2018 seasons. Um, he was always upbeat and excited. You gotta. 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm feeling it a little. This Le Mans has kind of rejuvenated me towards WEC competition again. It makes me happy. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely some positives to look forward to, and I mean, the overlying aspect is now we have a regulations locked in place for yes. the next set, and you know, as much as I want privateers to be there, and they will, you know, the, the, the focus will be on Aston Martin and Toyota. Also, too. That Toyota is a mule, guys. Also, I just want to let people know it's a mule. They're not. They haven't made a rolling chassis yet. People so the are one saying that people have seen in testing videos. That is not the car that will drive. <laughs> I why why am I reading so many people like <laughs> that think that that is the actual car? I don't understand it. And like no one's saying it's a mule. Like I had to read that like once or twice, and then that's never been said yet since it was said like at the beginning. I. I will. I, I might honestly start removing those videos if we start getting more of them. They're like, yeah, here's the new Super Sport. And you're like, I'm going to. It's the car, <laughs> man. That's not the freaking hypercar. All right. Anyway, so here on. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Cookie, uh, for, for coming along on this journey with me. We ended up uh, finishing at two hours and 30 minutes on the dot uh, at the time of recording. So it'll probably be a bit shorter once we've cut all the, the funky bits out. It's a meaty episode. It is a meaty episode. There was a lot to talk about. Uh, and thank you, everyone, again uh, for, for listening. Uh, thank you for coming on on this Le Mans journey with us. To all of our new listeners that we might have picked up uh, around the uh, various places, welcome. Hope you've enjoyed listening to us, and we look forward to uh, having your audience again in the future. We will be having a Nürburgring 24 review as well this week um, before cycling back into our regular uh, series of episodes looking at the ELMS and IMSA competition because we do need to catch up on IMSA competition. There has been a lot that's happened over there. Uh, yeah, as we're well actually as, super behind. We, we are we're a little <laughs> bit behind. I think we did need to take a well-earned break. We we did go pretty hard uh, into Le Mans. Uh, so yeah, we need to we need to we need to catch back up on IMSA. There's another round this weekend at the time of recording. We've just had Watkins Glen CTMPs next weekend, and boy, it just keeps on coming. Uh, we also need to look ahead to Spa Francorchamps 24, and then there's the new season. We've got to talk about these new regulations. We've got to talk about the entry list for next. Oh my god, there's so much to talk about, and hopefully we'll get through it. If not, well, we're all amateurs. We're just doing this for fun. So what's the worst that can happen, right? And on that note, yeah. I've been Flyman 11. That's Cookie Monster FL. Thank you very much. Peace out. Guess who? We're trying to stay cool. It's uh, to the strokes of heat summer. So, oh, uh, oh, heat stroke summer. Oh, oh, sorry. Wow. Okay. So That's hot here wow. that I can't even speak. You know, no, it was supposed to be a joke, but then it came off more like I was terrible at pronouncing words. It so, came oh, off. There we go. It came out something like something entirely different. That anyway. Oh. Anyway. Stroke heat. <laughs> stroke heat. And. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna remove all of that. That's, that was. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to start I, again? I like to derail. No, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> Keep it in. Keep it in. <laughs>
So okay, the 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 specific use uh, the specific wording in this uh, decision. I'll see if I can find it specifically. I'm gonna put a specifically counter up. Specifically, hey, at least we haven't got a, haven't had a stacked counter yet. Oh man, I I wish we did have the audio bit with like the the little like bell ding. So we ding stacked. Insert it there, like in different stuff, because there's there's definitely episodes where I have. Oh, wait, no, I just said the same thing 8,000 times and people have said that to me and I really understand it because I'm like, I listen to it and I go, mm. so I just said like, I think 8,000 times <laughs> in the last 10 minutes. I should probably put a ding here, but uh, ding. 